Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 27, The Spoils of War. I'm Scatty and with us as always are Brooke and Matt. Good evening. Hey. And uh, tonight we will be bringing you the same thing we bring every every week. It's five chapters. Uh, this time we're still in the Clash of Kings. We got Caitlyn 6, Bran 6, Arya 9, Danny 4, Tyrion 11. That's chapters 45 and 49 according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. As always, quick reminder... We are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast for a special segment called Davos After Dark. Don't worry, we'll warn you that we're about to get super spoilery, and then we will. So turn it off if you don't want them. Uh, lastly, uh, if you want to contact us, suggest topics uh, for for our episodes or uh, things you think we've missed or left out, anything like that, or just want to say hi, just uh, reach out to us through davosfingers.com. Uh, that's our Tumblr site. Email at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. You can find us on uh, on Facebook or uh, Twitter at Davos Fingers. And we've got uh, one other little announcement. Some of our listeners have been clamoring for access to Matt's musical creations. And uh, Matt's working on a project to uh, to get that out to you guys. Exact Exact way we were going to deliver it what method all that kind of stuff still being decided a little bit but uh we are going to work on on getting that and well we're it's pretty much matt's baby matt anything you want to add about that matt being super talented yeah thanks uh yeah i'm happy to do it Uh, we're just uh, making a few adjustments tweaks to the performances of the songs and then gonna throw it all together in an album and we're gonna do a couple other little fun things to throw onto the album as well so that it's not just you know because if it was just the uh, the jingles themselves the whole album would be like what a minute and a half long because they're each like 20 seconds so uh throw on a couple other fun things too that might take a little bit of time but don't worry it's coming and it will be fun that's what she said so he said they both said (laughs) everyone everywhere said it all right uh well then i think without further ado we'll jump into the episode uh we're starting with catlin and that's you matt excellent words will cut you like valyrian steel through a hand she can't love Jon snow and she's sure to let you know where she stands a devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiance. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's Catelyn, Catelyn Star. So like many of the men in this series, Edmure wants to make his daddy proud. So for this and other reasons, he's off with Tolly forces to attempt to harry Tywin Lannister's troops as they make their way from Harrenhal to the Westerlands, where Rob Stark continues to clean house. So he's left with a small, well, left with a small garrison and her ever-present foggy, Brienne. Catelyn embarks on what turns out to be a rather brooding chapter. So she first ponders the idea of duty and how, while her dutifulness endeared her to her father more than any of his other children, it hadn't always panned out for her. So like being betrothed to Brandon Stark, not being able to comfort her friend Peter Baelish after Brandon knocked him around, marrying Eddard after Brandon was roasted, and then sticking with Ned after he returned home from war with his baby on board sticker stuck to the rump of his horse. (laughs) Uh, She concludes her thoughts with, 
how can I do my duty if I do not know where it lies? And indeed, it seems that Kat finds herself herself in a bit of limbo after returning from her jaunt with the brothers Baratheon. She's torn between wanting to stay and support Rob as well as her ailing father, but wanting desperately to return to her other children at Winterfell. So after some more small talk with Brienne about the differences between fighting a war and having kids, we are treated with some raven mail, confirming the aftermath of the ewness of the last Davos chapter with Melisandre. Namely, Courtney Penrose was indeed dead. Now, Lord Meadows, his successor as Castellan of Storm's End, had immediately acquiesced to Stannis's demands and opened the castle to him. And those demands also included young Edric Storm, who we remember as the bastard son of Triple B, who Stannis demanded be turned over to him. Catelyn figures Stannis wants Edric to be able to offer proof that Triple B don't have no yellow-haired whelps, thus throwing fuel onto the Joffrey is illegitimate fire. So now we get into some fun stuff. Edmure's forces, it turns out, have engaged Tywin Lannister's troops at the Red Fork and have been successful. So, Skad, can we get a Sockens real quick? Sockens sus mapas. Thank you. So if we look, you can see the Red Fork right under River Run there, and it kind of is in the way uh, for someone traveling west to get to Casterly Rock and all those places. They have to cross the Red Fork first, and Edmure had, uh, he was holding strategic positions on the higher west side of the river behind rocks, trees, and other cover, and so the, thusly, the Riverlands forces were able to beat back the small probing uh, Lannister forces through a number of uh, tiny skirmishes, despite Tywin possessing twice as many forces or uh, twice as many troops as Edmure. So indeed, Brienne takes a cautious outlook, opining that the Lannister attacks were but a brush of Lord Tywin's fingertip, and that he was likely just probing for weaknesses along the Tully lines. So the next day, our dear brooding Catelyn reveals that she'd like to question Cleos Frey. Remember, Cleos is the guy who's been tasked with running peace terms back and forth from the Lannisters in King's Landing to the Starks at River Run. So after getting him a little bit tipsy on Alki, she questions him about the peace terms he'd brought from the Lannisters, particularly that of the trade offer of Jamie for Arya and Sansa, a notion balked at by many at River Run. So after prying from Cleos that he saw Sansa safe, not necessarily sound, but he did not see Arya, and that it was Tyrion, not Cersei, that made the terms, uh, Catelyn goes ahead and sends him away. And the chapter ends with reports of a great battle, or rather a number of small battles that occurred concurrently at a dozen different fords along the Red Fork. The battles had ended in victory for the Riverlands forces, including a crushing victory against forces led by our favorite character in the whole books, Gregor Clegane, who, after initially taking the far bank, was had been driven back by Edmure's reserve and forced to retreat, horseless and alone, and bleeding, it says, from a dozen wounds. So Tywin's whole force had now disengaged and were retreating to the southeast. And although Riverrun had erupted in celebration... Catelyn thinks to herself, if we are winning, why am I so afraid? And uh, indeed, why does she feel so afraid? It seems like it went pretty darn well for those Tollies, right? Yeah, it is nice to imagine Gregor Clegane like stumbling along a riverbank, just like sprouted with arrows. It, warm <laughs> it warms the heart. 
It really does. Yeah. Uh, to yeah, answer your question, I think she's afraid because she's always afraid now. I feel like Kat has lost so much. She just she sees the negative everywhere. She's worried about the bad stuff happening every time. Something she's you know maybe got to get over and deal with. But I'm not saying I blame her. She's dealt with a lot of tragedy. But yeah, I think she's just always worried. Always preparing for the worst. Yeah. I would agree. And Brienne's not really helping. Yeah. Like <laughs> she's she's not exactly the court jester. <laughs> yeah. No. She's not like trying to keep things optimistic. She's like, oh no, it's gonna get a lot worse. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is gonna suck. Even I a little bit about Foggy from Daredevil, and she's really nothing like him. Yeah. Even the part yeah. where I think this underscores what we're saying. They're talking about how Sansa and she memorized all the songs that the singers came and, and played. And she's like, oh, sing for me. She's like, no, 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 no. Like, I need to have my spirits lifted. Fucking sing for me. And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Ain't gonna do it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's also on Catelyn, too, for misjudging Brienne's nature. Like, trying to oh, make yeah. her wear fancy dresses and act a certain way sing for her like are you kidding me right now well just stood with brianne watching everyone watch off like like actively remarked on how miserable brianne was to not be fighting and then expects her to sing well she she pushed it too far but i feel like she was just encouraging something that brianne actually showed interest in brianne actually came out and was like yeah i memorized all the songs too like, oh, cool, do you want to sing? And But as soon as she said no, she should have dropped it. Instead, she's like, well, someday. Well, maybe later. So, it, it, you know, she wouldn't let it go. Yeah. Fair enough. Very fair. They do make an interesting pair oh, these yeah. days. Yeah. yeah. Huh. What is Kat's duty right now? Huh. It's a good question. She spends the whole first half of that chapter talking about it, and I never even thought about what her current duty is. Uh, I think I think she, she explained it earlier, I think in her last chapter, that her duty right now is to her father. I don't know that I agree. Right, she wants to stay with dad. Yeah. Yeah, should she should she be going back home? If she's not at home, she should be with Rob. Like that was her original originally why she set out, right? Was to counsel Rob. Yeah. And I think we had this discussion quite a few episodes ago as to whether or not she should be at home, like holding down the fort, taking care of her remaining children. And I, I believe that the outcome of that, or at least it was part of the discussion discussion that she has autonomy and is not like just a mother figure she is more than that she is the lady of stark she is a political figure she is um a a valued counselor to rob that sort of thing but right now she's capable of counseling yeah she is so so she's there's there's other people who can take care of the kids she's needed elsewhere but right now it feels like she is not needed there at the Mo because mm-hmm. everything's I... going great. River Run is pretty secure. She should be out and about or back at Winterfell. Sounds I think like Edmure's not going to listen to her no matter what. Mm. I think Edmure might. I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's so hard headed not to listen to to his sister. I think he respects her opinions, but I think she's just in a mental place now. A mental state where she's not helping anybody like you know what i mean like e- even though she has the skills she's just in a funk and so she's not gonna be helpful you know what i mean mm. 
But I, I don't know what the answer and is. And that might be why it would be good for her to be with Rob. Yeah. Because it would be a situation where she's busy and she's kind of, you know, I imagine that things aren't slow when, you know, people aren't just sitting around. They're hard at work taking over every hold fast and castle they can in the Westerlands. And it sounds like, you know, she could stay busy helping out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so worst place to live in all Westeros might be, in terms of the name, might be the crag. <laughs> sounds like sounds moist and sweaty. Yeah, it sounds like a swamp place. Yeah. Like live in the crag. It's yeah. like the New Jersey of Westeros. I think. <laughs> There's a town just outside of Calgary called Dead Man's Flats, <laughs> and mm. it, it's just in the mountains, so it's very beautiful. They're trying to like get people to buy property there and stuff. It's like a this <laughs> is a losing battle. The <laughs> crag. <laughs> the crag. What uh, can we talk a little bit about at the beginning of the chapter? She's talking about her duty, and she she mentions the Peter thing again. Mm-hmm. I've brought this up before. I, the whole thing with Peter is just off to me. She she actually in her in her mind as she's you know as we're following her thoughts, she's actually lamenting the fact that she didn't get a comfort and console Peter mm-hmm. after all the shit that went down in King's Landing. And the weird kind of maybe trust, maybe not. I, I just, I don't get her feelings towards this guy. It seems more complicated than it should be. Am I... It might be. But I think she's, she's remembering the old Peter who was her friend. She's not taking into account the crap went down in King's Landing. I think she's thinking about she did grow up with this guy. And mm-hmm. to the point that Brandon beat the crap out of him. You know, they were they were fairly close, I think, short of boyfriend and girlfriend or, uh, you know, hooking up and stuff. But I think they were friends Yeah. to the point that she felt like she wanted to at least be like, hey, are you OK? After he got the crap beat out of him. Just seemed just odd to me. Visit him in the hospital and bring him a balloon, you know. It, it may be less of a reflection of her true feelings about Peter and more just to do with the whole uh, dutifulness thing. Just like, one in a long list. It was it was an alternative to her being dutiful. She could have actually you know, reached out to Peter. Yeah. And maybe he wouldn't be such a dick today. Maybe. maybe. Now, you know what? I take that back. I love Peter and his Peterness. <laughs> never change, man. Stay golden. Never stop. Never stop little thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stay golden, Tony boy. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. The Outsiders? Yes, sir. My that's that's like one of my favorite books ever. Is that book? I love that book. Sadly, I think I only ever saw the movie, which has like one of the best oh. casts in the history of film. It, it is. is an amazing cast. Yeah. yeah, with like Tom Cruise and all that. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, isn't Rob he like a bit Lowe. part Tom Cruise? Yeah, he's not even a very big part. Yeah, Tom Cruise, Rob Lowe, isn't uh, Matt uh, Dillon. Um, Dirty Dancing guys Ralph in there, Macchio, isn't he? Yeah, Patrick Swayze. C. Thomas Howell. Uh, uh, or not. Emilio, Emilio Estevez is in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Show. Outsiders, check it out. Great. Coming of yeah, age tale can... about gangs in somewhere. The book is better. Yeah, you can read it in like an hour. It's a quick read. Yeah, oh, maybe Anyways. I will. All right, anything else on Cat? Nope, good. 
All right, let's dive into Bram, which is me, Hugh Music. Five, six, seven, Brandon Stark, won't you come back down from that tower your mind's been flying from? Your legs don't work, but they don't really need to work on that third eye showing you new ways unexplored. And the summer's gonna come, you know it's gonna come, summer's gonna come, and boy, you're gonna fly away. Ow! <laughs> we get Bran as summer. And he hears something unnatural. It's like a clink, scrape. Clink, scrape. And he smells man smells he doesn't know. Danger, death. Uh, his wild black brother and he run through the godswood, howling, barking, trying to find a way to escape to warn their companions of the danger that they're feeling. But they're failing. They can't get through the gate. They're surrounded by high stone walls. They can't get through. In one last-ditch attempt... Driven by desperation and fury, Summer tries to climb the slope Sentinel as Bran did innumerable times in another life. Bran is actually able to, like, speak to him, kind of like shout his thoughts into Summer's brain and tell him, hey, there's this tree you might be able to climb to get out. So Summer runs over there as fast as he can and tries to scramble up. He gets a good way up the tree, but it's all for naughty. His clawed feet, absent the thumbs <laughs> that uh, humans have. And uh, his feet betray him, and he clatters to the ground, uh, his shoulder aching uh, desperately. And then, as soon as that happens, Bran wakes up. And so we're kind of transported back to Bran's body. Uh, And he wakes with a duller ache in his shoulder, and a deeper understanding now of Jojen's green dream. The sea has come to Winterfell. Theon's plan has worked, it seems, as most of Winterfell, uh, most of Winterfell men left by Rob have now gone to fight Dagmar Clefjaw, uh, leaving really only a few behind. Some of our favorites, though, Ale Belly and Poxy Tim and, and Hayhead are all there. Um, so Bran screams for help and is relieved to see Theon come through the door, only to have his hopes dashed. Theon tells him briefly, Winterfell's taken, Bran, you're now my ward, and you've got to yield the castle and tell your subjects to obey me. Um, any dissent would be dealt with harshly. And it is. <laughs> so they gather everyone uh, into the hall, uh, all the people of Winterfell into the hall. Micken, the smith, uh, he's the guy that uh, that, that made Needle, uh, John's request, uh, he's stabbed through the throat for insolence after Bran has warned everyone, please follow follow Theon, follow the Ironborn, do what they tell you. Uh, Micken can't, <laughs> can't keep his mouth shut and gets beaten and then stabbed through the throat with a spear. Hoder is beaten for hodering around, and uh, Septon Chael is punished for helping a hurt woman to her feet. So they're kind of brutalizing these people a little bit. Uh, Reek uh, and Osha step forward and say, Hey, we don't want any part of this Stark thing. Can we swear oaths to you? Theon graciously accepts uh, them both. And the rest he tells to go about their business and stay orderly. Hoder carries Bran back to his room, and the chapter ends. So, first off... I think this is our first real good look at warging, isn't it? Or at least at these uh, dreams. It seems like it's progressing. I would say that to the point that it's no longer um, just as Bran sees it dreams. It seems like Bran before was kind of just a passive participant, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In these dreams. And now it seems like he's becoming more active um, in, in making suggestions to Summer 
and more like he's actually he actually is the wolf and helping the wolf make decisions as if he you know his their minds are becoming one sort of so yeah i agree with you that uh it does seem to be progressing yeah bran was denying it a lot before but even in this chapter he admits that jojen was right and kind of gave into the war gang didn't question that he was the wolf yeah Yeah, he says he literally says the words i am a beastling yeah i am a beastling yeah (laughs) i am a beastling um (laughs) just like that yeah he he before he was talking about how he he was afraid he didn't want to have the dreams he was trying to stop having the dreams right and now he's kind of almost accepting it he sees them as liberating yeah he says uh there's that line oh, it's right here he says awake i am still broken but when i sleep when i'm summer i can run and fight and hear and smell yep he's he's starting to appreciate it mm-hmm. and and, it. and even it looks like kind of like you were alluding to even control um, mm-hmm. Summer, which is interesting. I mean, this is the first time I think we've seen that. Um, yeah, it's a weird thing because it's it's like a suggestion. Picture, like you're saying control. Yeah, like he's almost like he's sitting in a cockpit and Summer's mind driving him. Yeah, but it's um, not exactly right. Like their consciousnesses yeah, are both exactly. there, and it was almost right. just like a suggestion that Summer maybe couldn't ignore or didn't want to ignore. The very kind of symbiotic, almost kind of thing. Maybe I don't know. Symbiotics, I think, is a good way to describe it. Yeah, good on you. Thanks, man. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I loved. So I loved reading about. I, I loved reading the wolf chapter. I want a book of just wolf povs. Yeah. I, I think it was the fastest I've read four pages. This this Gurm kid has some talent for different povs. I wonder if he knows that. Somebody should tell him. Yeah, I want an Emeria one. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, talking to her pack. Yeah. yeah. Wait, is that a spoiler? Uh, I don't really? think so. Because they talk about how wolves are out and about, and there's a big one yeah. who seems to be leading them. Talking, to, maybe, maybe, actually connecting with her brothers. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you could get, you could death. get, yeah, we could get Lady's final chapter. Oh, no. she's like, oh look, Eddard wants to pet me for a little bit. Lemon tart, lemon tart, lemon tart. <laughs> oh, Sorry. It's too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Sorry, Brookie. Too soon. This book came out in like 96, Brooke. You haven't gotten over it yet? Always too soon. That was the worst. Um, That was really hard. That was worse than Ned for you? One of the worst deaths. No, that was really bad, but it's the worst death in that we've seen time and time again how connected these kids are to their wolves. Mm -hmm. And Sansa... continues on even without lady and you know that there's always just a little storm cloud of 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 potential horror hanging over her because she doesn't have lady with her yep and it didn't have to happen right it was all because of stupid cersei yeah Mm. yeah that makes it even more troubling it was also well sansa's fault really but the whole thing is very frustrating and it's it's just it sticks with me it sticks with any reader i'm sure Anyway, I think the point is, if Bran can do this with with these wolves, maybe maybe the other Stark kids could too. And what a cool adventure that would be to have your wolf and be able to do this kind of thing. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, Theon, I actually was kind of surprised by his restraint. I don't know if I'm alone, um, but he kind of took over. 
he played the nice ruler a little bit, said, look, you know, listen to what I'm doing and you'll be fine. And, you know, there was one dude, basically, that um, wouldn't listen and got killed as an example. But I, I could have seen that going a lot worse than it did. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know if it's because of his familiarity with Interfell and the people there. I definitely detected a certain amount of smugness. Oh, yeah. It's always there with Theon. Which I think is part of Theon's character anyways, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he didn't even give the order to kill Micken or anything, right? The guy yeah. just kind of did it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, um, and you don't, you're don't. you not in Theon's POV at that point, so you don't know what he thought of that. But he might have been like, God damn it, right. you're supposed to wait for my order. <laughs> you know, like, he might have been pissed <laughs> off. aren't they listening to me? Yeah, yeah. right. But and, I mean, he, he just basically took over a whole castle of a very well-protected stronghold uh, seemed to do a good effective job of it so on the surface good job theon yeah <laughs> this this lends back to the um lends back to the the title of the episode uh spoils of war so what he has now is a mostly empty castle um right of people that don't want him there he's got 50 people i think to hold it isn't that what bran estimated um and it's just it's a victory and i bet it makes him feel great like his name can always go down in the history books as the guy that 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 conquered winterfell but right. like it's something we've all we've said the last several theon chapters what are you going to do with it now and yeah it's like okay you you won but at what cost you know like yeah you didn't lose men but you're stranded out in the middle of nowhere with no support lines what does this victory get you you know Exactly. There was no real strategic value in terms of following Balon Greyjoy's plan in taking Winterfell at this point. And maybe there could be some strategy if they sat down and thought about it for a minute, but Theon's not interested in that. He's only interested in one thing, and that is showing off to his dad. He's, you know, he's, he's just begging for attention from his dad, and uh, he wants to establish himself as a true Kraken, a true Greyjoy. And he's not thinking strategically or in terms of actual conquering or anything. It's this personal vendetta that has led him to take over this whole castle. It was very anticlimactic. And yeah, mm -hmm. very personal. I liked when he came to Bran's room, which again was just like, Hi Bran, I'm here. I'm taking over. <laughs> he was like, Bran, both of us are princes now. I think he said, like, call me Prince Theon. And then he was like, who would have thought? <laughs> Yeah. Bonding moment. Yeah, look at us now, buddy. Yeah. Really, really moving up in the world, huh? Remember buddy? that day when I picked you up after you skinned your knee? And then I shot that wildling in the back? Well, now here we are, and we're both princes. How about that, kid? Head up. Dick. Uh, had a Rick inciting. <laughs> they, they know the, the kind of that Rickon just has no idea what's going on. Uh, specifically, can't feel the menace. Was it, it was one of the the sentences used as they come into the hall that he he can't feel the the kind of palpable threat in the room. And uh, poor kid again. Rickon, like a Rickon sighting, just a, a flyby Rickon. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really see much in this book now. No, no. And I just, I, my thought, my head also went back to last episode when you referred to honey badgering, uh, Brooke, and 
maybe he can feel the menace. He just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> because he's Rickin. Because he's Rickin. <laughs> yeah, if I had a barely tame dire wolf, I I think I'll I'd probably be a little more arrogant too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm worried about Summer. I hope he's okay. Yeah, don't you think Bran should be able to feel... pretty nasty fall. Don't you think Bran should be able to feel his hurt a little better? Like, uh... Like, he keeps saying, like, I hope he's okay, or, or maybe he only said it once. Like, should... Well, I, I felt like they had right? a better connection than that. Said he felt... He felt the pain in his shoulder, but he knew it was only, like, a shadow of what Summer was feeling. Right. But then later in the chapter, when they're walking to the to hall... that connection. What's that? Yeah. He's not a perfect ward yet. I think yeah. he's still just kind of learning to have that relationship with Summer. Yeah, so. I guess so. All right. Uh, Foxy Tim sighting. Yeah, Foxy Tim cuts me deep. This guy. He wept I, inconsolably. Yeah, he cuts <laughs> cuts me deep with his performance. I can't... I can't... You could have been a contender, Foxy Tim. That he's weeping inconsolably with Beth Cassell. I thought we had something. With Boxy, I thought he was. Yeah. Nope, it's not gonna happen. He's, he doesn't have the stuff. Uh, all right, I don't have. Uh, I don't have much else for Bran. You guys have anything else? No, it kind of just is what it is. I like this is another good example of when people are conquered, they're just like, well, back to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the name of the new ruler? Uh, what's the What's that? Who's the Who song? Right, uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Shall I go to Arya? Yeah, let's move on to Arya. Arya, horse face, underfoot, sticking with the pointy end. Arya, underfoot, horse face, sticking with the pointy end. Um, so this is a crazy chapter. Holy cow. The brave companions slash bloody mummers have captured over a hundred Northmen led by Robert, uh, Robert, Ruber, maybe French, Robert, 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 yeah, Robert Glover in a river skirmish with Ruse Bolton. Arya sees them marched in Harrenhal and recognizes Sirwin and Karsark symbols on their jerkins and stuff, um, so knows that they are uh, her father's men or her brother's men. Vargo Hote hands them off to Am- Amory Lorch, the Castellan at Hall, who imprisons them in one big cell beneath the widow's tower. Hall is like barely manned right now. A hundred men left to guard one of the biggest holdings in the realm. And to top it off, Amory Lorch and Vargo Hote, the goat, do not get along. So things around Hall are a little tense and quiet. And Arya is able to move around fairly freely and fancies herself the ghost of Harrenhal. Um, and uh, so, yeah, she ghosts about. This case goes straight over to Gendry, who tries to convince to help her release the Northmen prisoners. Gendry, the pragmatic young man he is, tells her no, not believing it possible, and also not wanting to rock the boat he's in. He's got a thing, good thing going at Harrenhal like hot pie working in the kitchens and at the end of the day it doesn't matter who he serves so long as there is a job to be paid for like we just saw in Winterfell like okay new ruler whatever still got horses to shoe and bread to bake 
et cetera, et cetera. So Arya, frustrated, but with some free time on her hands, goes to the Harrenhal Godswoods to practice her water dancer moves with a broken broom handle she has hidden there. And as she is worked out, surprise, up pops Jack and Gahar, impatient and urging her to name her third death token. During their conversation, Arya asks him to help her release the prisoners, but to no avail. Jacken reveals that he knows her many names, including Arya Stark, and it's confirmed that if Arya were to name King Joffrey the third victim, Jacken would make it happen. She can name any person, anyone, and he will kill them. It is definitive. So she has this, this third choice to make, but through her suffering and mistake-making over the past six months or so, Arya has grown a little nugget of deviousness. And so instead of asking Jacken to kill just one guard below the Widow's Tower guarding the Northmen, or to make the big play and kill Joffrey or Tywin or Cersei, she names her third kill Jacken Gahar. Jacken is legit bamboozled and upset at being tricked. He's ready to do it. He's ready to kill himself. She has named her third man, and he's ready to do it. But Arya promises to name another name if Jacken helps her release the prisoners. So in exchange for his help, she will pick another person for him to kill, letting him off the hook of basically committing suicide. But I don't think it's committing suicide in this case. I think it is murdering himself. There's a difference. This is the difference, the one example of a difference. So not wasting any time, Jacken says he'll do it right now and orders Arya to do as he says, no questions asked. And that's how she ends up helping to carry four huge cauldrons of boiling hot broth down to the prisoner's cell, where, with the help of Biter and Rorge, her and Jacken free the men by attacking the guards with the broth, which is a bad way to go, we learn. As it turns out, uh, Robert Glover, the leader of the prisoners, isn't all that surprised that they were freed. Ruse Bolton had already paid off the bloody mummers and had a plan to take Harrenhal for the north already in place. But what was done is done, and Arya takes back her third name from Jagan, who tells her she's greedy and doesn't get a replacement name since he helped kill like eight guards, so she should just settle down. Then, as sometimes happens in the series, we get some out-of-the-blue magic where Jacken wipes a hand over his face to completely change his hair, his features, his eyes, and even the way he speaks, his language. Like, the, the red and white hair is gone, replaced with short, black, curly hair. He has a darker skin, um, a scar on his cheek. He talks like a normal person. It's wonderful. Yeah, ask who asks who he is and if she could learn to do the same. But Jacken tells her she would need to go with him across the narrow sea to Bravos. He leaves her, um, which she is not going to do. She has to get to Winterfell. So he leaves her with a coin of great value in the right place and tells her that if she ever needs to find him again, she should give the coin to any man from Bravos and say the words, Valar Magulis. Jacken, who claims his name is as dead as Ari is, or Weasel, then disappears into the night, and it's a very tender parting. 
The chapter ends with Arya getting credit for making the weasel soup, it's called, uh, to, to free the prisoners, getting recognition for her act by Ruse Bolton, and getting made his cupbearer. And then enjoying the Mummers Parade armory larch around naked Her- around Harrenhal naked before feeding him to their caged bear. So all in all, a really great Arya chapter. And that's really great Arya chapter. Yeah, it was really fun. Great. A lot of yeah. fun. So I'm wondering why Jackson would ever want her to find him again. So it seems odd, right? Yeah, he was like super willing to take uh, with him and everything. I think he was impressed by her her cunning, by her her slick move in getting him to kill his third person. Do you think that's what did it, or did he have it in mind before? Mm. Did he liked her and? I think he liked her the second he granted her those three kill tokens, but she continued to impress him. Mm-hmm. Well, she let him down for those first two, but the third one really brought it all together yeah which turned out to be kind of a waste if you think about it too because it sounds like the <laughs> robert glover and co already had a plan in place to yeah. bust it out <laughs> yeah ruse had that all in hand he had it all taken care of speaking right. of great introduction to ruse bolton through Arya's eyes he's a creepy dude a super creeper yeah yeah so Can't creepy. Can't wait to hear more about him. His leechings. Mmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounded like you pressed a button on your computer and it pressed a sound bite that said, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we have sound effects, live action cool sound effects those. now. The old yeah, Twix. That was, it was almost like the old Twix one, right? Or the old Ferris Bueller one. Yeah. I think Twix used the same soundbite. Uh I'm I'm with you uh on the, the Jock and Arya love. Um I think he sees something in her. Uh I won't say what. Um but I think he sees something in her potential wise. Yes. Don't we all? Yeah, I love Arya. I she's just th- there's a little moment in there where she's uh she's praying and you just remember what a little kid she is. Like, she doesn't really even know how to pray. And yet she's, um, you know, she's finding her way in this world and dealing death at every turn and, um, yeah. on you know, one like hand, planning she's... and scheming, and yet she can't pray. She doesn't really understand how. Yeah, on one hand, she is definitely wielding death like, like a true adult. And on the other, she's like, let's spit in these tarts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so quick poll. Can you taste spit? That'll be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you could. Those tarts sound amazing, though. Mm. Cheese and fruit and nuts? Mmm. Delish. I don't like any dessert with nuts in it. Really? Nothing. I feel like you're missing out. If it's got nuts in it. Not even a nice, like, baklava? Mmm. Nope. Oh, that's too bad. I have no interest in baklava, but, uh... Nuts aren't a death knell for me. I, I don't. I don't usually love my chocolate with nuts, but uh, it's not a death knell. I'm not. I'm not at mat levels of crazy on this one. 
<laughs> I like nuts and desserts, but it's always a disappointment to bite into a walnut and a brownie. It's like, ah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's the don't, worst. Don't do that. Oh, yeah. There was a yep. good square centimeter of brownie that you wasted by putting a walnut yeah. in there. Yeah. I could have had no, brownie. that does not add to the brownie. Yeah. And, no. and the only thing that's on par with that in terms of horribleness is when you bite into what you think is a chocolate chip cookie and it turns out it's like a raisin cookie. Oh, oh yeah, raisin cookies worst. are the worst. I love, I like raisins on their own, but raisin cookies, man. My, uh, my oldest, uh, Pippin, he has, he has a nut allergy now, so, uh, like all nuts, basically. So, like, we see them and it's like nut equals death, like we don't buy anything with nuts in them anymore. So they're kind of like a delicacy for me now. Like I kind of, <laughs> I kind of relish when I get them, but I still don't love them in my desserts. What is up with you guys breeding these weak children with nut allergies? Don't you know they're all going to be just culled out of the population? Um, <laughs> like peanut butter sandwiches on airplanes and school buses. No, yeah, I, I had a, I had a boss once that uh, different company, uh, but. He said once, he admitted, he's like, my kids have all sorts of vulnerabilities that human humans and science have taken care of now. We would have been bred out of society, and we are making humanity weaker by living. He's talking about his own family like this. <laughs> but he's right. <laughs> but he's, he's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, me, me with the, the nuts, too. Um, yep. Um, anyways... <laughs> So, <laughs> back to Arya. Um, Scad and I enjoy the nuts and desserts. Matt does not. Arya is like like disproportionately maturing faster than she should have to be. Right. Um, That's a good way of putting it. Also, though, selectively maturing faster than she has. In some areas, she's super behind. In other areas, she's super advanced. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh. Was anyone else frustrated that she didn't reveal herself? Or do you think it's smart that she didn't tell someone like Robert Glover who she was? Well, I, I think we, we talk, to me, I think of it similarly as, as, as what we said about Sansa before. Um, and just, can she trust Tyrion with information? And it's just, mm -hmm. she's just too scared. She's just seeing shadows everywhere, doesn't think she can trust anyone, and so do, can't do it. I think Arya's in a similar spot. She's been. She's been just kind of knocked down at every turn, and she just doesn't want to throw herself out there until she knows knows what's going on. But uh, here's the thing: she she doesn't even really give it much consideration. No. Like it's not even on her radar anymore to ask people for help. She is fully independent now. She's like, "How am I going to help myself get to Winterfell?" Yeah, she thinks about it for a second. She's like, "Yeah, not yet. Mm -hmm. Move on." But it's weird. I mean, she she does she immediately. She sees the the coats of arms on the on the people's uh, the, the sigils on their on their uniforms and everything, and she immediately thinks, "I gotta free them, right? Like I gotta do my duty as a Stark and free them and get them out." And but 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 not ask them for help. There, there's a that's a weird line of, "Oh yes, I'm on their side. I need to help them, but they can't help me." That's a weird line. That's a I don't I don't know how to heavy to get. That's, that's like an abusive like I've been abused kind of line like I don't deserve help kind of thing it's it's very weird right yeah yeah I guess it could be seen that way I, I mean just in I mean forget the abusive part just it's very weird to me that she thinks right. oh yes I immediately need to help them but I'm not going to tell them who I am 
she she trusts them enough to think that freeing them is the right thing to do, but not to help her get back home. It's weird. I think it's weird. Well, maybe it's a thing of I'll free them, then I'll see what they do. Yeah. Uh, how they act, you know, what they do now that they're not in chains, and then maybe after observing them for a while, then I'll know if I can trust them or not. Yeah, I remember first time re- reading through being extremely frustrated that she didn't just tell right. tell Robert as soon as he got out of the jail. You yeah, know, like Robert seems pretty hardcore. Like, yeah, we don't know Robert much about him. Seem but... Like the type of guy that I would trust, and I'm pretty trusting. So, <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. I mean, we talk about the love that the North the North people have for the Starks in general. Seems like she would trust any of them. You know, like as high as they hold the Starks in regard. But anyway, yes, I think it's confusing. And I wonder. Another thing I wonder about, uh, changing topics completely, is Rorge and Biter and how they kind of, uh, they're like these really super freaky dudes, but yet they seem to do whatever Jacques wants them to do. They, and yeah. They do it like very, uh, I don't know if willingly is the right word, but they like, you know, they snap to attention and they, they do it. Like, Jacques like, hey, I'm going to, I'll show up in the kitchens and just wait for me there. And yeah. Rorge and Biter are right there with him. And, yeah, it almost know, seems like, like more magic. What he's got on him. What yeah. he's got on him, yeah. Uh, speaking of magic, uh, I'll come back to that in a minute, but uh, I'm a big enough man to say uh, Brooke was right and I was wrong about the dog last time we talked about Arya. <laughs> Good job, yep. Brooke. I, I had that on my list to bring up. I'm I'm glad I always beat you guys to confirmed. it, so I can fall on the sword first. Um, <laughs> why Why are you denying me my gloat? That's the best Damn way you. to do it. Uh, so, so good job, Brooke. Sorry, I was I was wrong about that. But I think it's similar to the dog. The, the reason I thought of it is I think it's similar to the dog. I think I think J- Jockin has uh, some force like these are not the droids you're looking for. Uh, kind of powers that uh, he can wield on certain types of creatures. And I think he's doing it. I think he's kind of controlling them somehow. Mayhaps even warging. Did we already discuss that? I think we did. Uh, maybe. We, d- we talked about it with the dog specifically, that, that maybe he was warging the dog. Yeah, I think. Some hybrid warg. Yeah. Who knows? I right. do like the idea of him Obi-Wan Kenobi being like Rorge and Vider. Being like, we, you will come with me to throw soup on people. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem a little <laughs> fear-based, though. It does. Uh, I remember the last Arya chapter, and I think we brought it up in the discussion. We did, When yeah. Rorge was, like, uh, harassing Arya, and she's like, I'm looking for Jacquin. And all of a sudden, he stops, and he's like, oh, he's over there. <laughs> and, like, bolts after he tells her. Yeah, it's almost like a, a hypnotist. So, um, like, keywords kind of, like, snap you to attention, right? Like, she says his name, and all of a sudden he's just, like, snapped to, right? Like, oh, already, I'm uh, I'm this other in-control person now, right? Yeah, sort of, but I do think it is, like Brooke said a little bit, it seems like he's legit afraid of him, rather yeah. than a hip hypnotic state. Well, you but... can do all sorts of things with hypnosis. You can make those keywords make them afraid, or excited, or any number of things, right? Sure. But yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Well, see you, Jacques and Hagar, for yeah. now, I guess. I, I've brought up a few times the uh, the germ turning the scene on its ear, and just, like, the reader being like, What? Uh, and that mm-hmm. totally happened when she requested Jockin's name. 
just like, yeah. who's she gonna, is it going to be Joffrey? What's what's it going to be? Who's it just going to be some lame guy again? What's going to happen? And then, boom, scene is just flipped. That was awesome. And then flipped again when he rubbed his hand over his face and it changed. Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk yeah. about the faceless men in Davos After Dark. I'm yeah. interested. Sounds good. Gurm really did the pacing well too after the Theon chapter right before this and then hopping into this chapter where it could have been broken up into like easily three different point of view chapters um, from Arya but it all happens so quickly like yeah. third man I name you okay we're gonna free those prisoners right now okay Ruse Bolton comes in okay now Arya is Nan and a cupbearer and like, like boom 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 yeah, so it was true. exciting. Yeah. So uh, I want to come back to the title of the episode again, The Spoils of War. Uh, Roose Bolton and Robert Glover have taken the castle, and as a prize, they get to deal with the bloody mummers. <laughs> and also <laughs> have to stay in this monstrosity of a castle, Heron Hall, which everyone thinks is cursed. So, The Spoils of War. Mm. Take what you can get, I guess. All right, uh, shall we move on? Danny? Silver hair and purple eyes always on the go Kicking it with the dragon kids and Jorah the Andal She know just where she gotta go and won't be Tyrion Look out Westeros, here comes Daenerys Targaryen So, after being rejected by the Pureborn and not getting what she wants from Zaro and the other merchants of Karth Danny resorts to a new plan Taking up the warlock Pyat Pri on his invitation to visit he and his buddies at their hangout, the House of the Undying. So despite urgings to the contrary from Zaro, Jorah, her blood riders, and even Drogon, who seems agitated at this, Danny's firmly decided in seeing what these mysterious blue-lipped freakos have to offer. So with promises of that she will gain knowledge and wisdom, Pyatpri outlines a couple keep your hands inside the ride at all times rules before letting her into the house of the undying. The first is always take the door to the right, no matter which room she enters and how many doors there may be. The next is that if she comes to stairs, she is always to go up, never down. And here he reveals a bit more to her saying, and I think this is key to understanding this chapter. He says, other doors may open to you. Within you will see many things that disturb you. Visions of loveliness and visions of horror, wonders and terrors, sights and sounds of, pay attention, days gone by, days to come, and days that never were. That's a wide range of things that she could see there. Dwellers and servitors may speak to you as you go, answer or ignore them as you choose, but enter no room until you reach the audience chamber. End quote. So the audience chamber, he claims, is where the undying will endow her with knowledge, which she's counseled to write upon her heart and never forget. So Danny then throws back some shade of the evening. That's the drink that has stained the lips of the warlocks uh, blue and which pre-promises, pre-promises, I try saying that a lot, uh, pre-promises will unstop your ears and dissolve the call from off your eyes so that you may hear and see the truths that will be laid before you. So in other words, get ready for a really cool trip. And after drinking, she's allowed to enter the house. So at this point, I'm just going to touch on a few of the things Danny sees while in the house. I'll just say it right now. A lot of it we're going to discuss in, in Davos After Dark. 
but she first comes into a hallway with a number of doors on her left. So within, she sees a number of things in these doors. So I'm not going to name everything because we could be here all night. But a few of the things he, she sees that are weird and, and really freaky at the same time. He sees, for example, a beautiful woman naked on the floor with four little men crawling over her with rat faces and tiny pink hands. And they're basically raping her. Uh, and through another door, she sees a feast of corpses who have been savagely slaughtered. And there's dead feasters all over the place. And on a throne, a dead man with a wolf's head and an iron crown. Um, she sees great bronze doors and inside them uh, a stone hall with skulls of dead dragons. Uh, and an old man with dark eyes and silvery hair saying, Let him be king over charred bones and cooked meat. Let him be king of ashes. That's something that angered Drogon. Uh, another important thing that she seems to linger on for a little bit is she comes to a room with a guy who's got hair like her brother Viserys, uh, but taller, and he's got indigo eyes, and he's holding a newborn baby who he's named Aegon. Um, there's also the baby's mother there with him, uh, and this man says that the new baby is the prince that was promised, and his is the song of ice and fire. Uh, he looks directly at Danny. one of the only times that someone interacts directly with Danny in this house of undying. And he says, there must be one more. The dragon has three heads. Uh, so she sees a few more things until she comes to a great hall, goes through a few more doors and, uh, she ends up in a room with the undying. So it's kind of a gray plain room. She sees lots of cool, elaborate things, but in this room where she meets with the undying, this audience chamber that Pyat Pri spoke of, it's rather gray and plain. They're all sitting at a long stone table. And above this table is a human heart swollen and blue with corruption. Germ says yet still alive and beating. Figures around the table are no more than blue shadows, and they're whispering to her things like Mother of Dragons. It's really creepy. Uh, so Danny sits at the table and begins talking with these guys, and um, they talk about how they know. They call her the Mother of Dragons. They mention the uh, three heads of the dragon again, and they talk about all these things in threes. They talk about how there's three fires that she'll light, one for life, one for death, one to love. Three mounts you must ride, one to bed, one to dread, and one to love. And three treasons you shall know, one for blood, one for gold, and one for love. Um, they call her a number of other things and make a number of other prophecies. They call her the mother of dragons and slayer of lies. They call her the mother of dragons and bride of fire. And then she sees kind of at the very end, she, she begins to see these rapid fire visions uh, she sees things from her past, like Miri Mazdur shrieking in the flames. Um, she sees uh, the lone naked crones beneath the mother of mountains. She sees 10,000 slaves calling her mother, and she wants to give herself to those slaves. And at this point, she kind of snaps out of these visions that she's having and she's surrounded by these undying guys. They're like all surrounding her and like grabbing at her and stuff and basically like violating her, like getting in her space and everything. <clears throat> and she's getting starting to get a little creeped out. They're like biting her neck and twisting her nipples and stuff like that. <laughs> 
Uh, but all of a sudden, who comes to the rescue but Drogon? So Drogon, her little baby dragon, had gone into the house with her, and he first attacks the heart, interestingly enough, the heart that was dying but still beating above the table. And then he blows fire at the undying. I think this is the first moment that we've seen the dragons blowing fire, and it's like burning down the house. And uh, it's really cool. And um, they burn up. And so Danny eventually gets out of the house of the undying. Uh, she escapes and she finds Pyatt Pre waiting for her outside. He tries to kill her with a knife. And at that point, um, her blood riders intervene and save her. And the chapter ends with Mormont comforting her. Holy cow. Uh, there's a lot more there. <laughs> Actually, you did a really good job of covering it. But I think we covered some of the big points. You did an okay job. It was all right. It was what? All right. <laughs> that no, was fantastic. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you really nailed a lot of the themes that are in there. The threes thing, the love thing, um, how important it was that little Drogon was with her. Oh, so great that he saved the day. Well, for her, not for the House of the Undying. It sounds like they're pretty much screwed. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that whole chapter was just completely I wouldn't say it was completely without precedence because Danny's had visions before but usually they're you know like maybe a page or so of little snippets of dreams she has this is like a whole chapter of just one thing paragraph after paragraph and line after line of these really trippy things and I just remember like being halfway through this chapter the first time I read it being like what is going on I'm completely lost um, on rereads, it's amazing and it's so fun to read. But I remember my first time through just being like, screw this thing. I just wanted to get through it. Yeah. You know, I, I think mm. the first time through, you're like Danny. You don't know what the hell you're looking at as mm. you reread. And, you know, we'll try not to spoil here. We'll save that for Dobbs After Dark. Uh, but as you reread, you, you know a lot more of what this stuff means and what it represents. But the first time through, and this this is the point I'm making about Danny, I don't know what value she gets out of this. Like, again, a victory, but what she, what she gets is a fucked up trippy ride through a bunch of visions that she has no idea which ones are real, because Piat Pre told her half of them are garbage, right? She doesn't right. know which ones yep. are real, who they represent what these people are. She's got to rely on her memory, which human memory is garbage. Like, you cloud things after two days, you don't remember what you saw. Um, like, what does she get out of this? It seems like a, a very dangerous task she undertook, and I don't feel like she got a ton out of it. The reader does, yeah, I think, because the reader knows more than she does. But for her, man. Yeah, <sighs> And like you just said, Pyatt Pre doesn't give her a lot of uh, focus. He's like, the things that you see, they uh, might happen in the future, they might happen in the past, or they might not happen at all. So yeah. figure it, it's like, oh my gosh, okay, uh, uh, let's do this. Well, we did get a repeat vision, which signifies that some of the stuff will never come to be was of her son. Um uh uh Rhaegar. No. Rago. 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 Mm -hmm. Um um uh, as a grown man conquering the world as the stallion who mounts the world. Uh 
Mm -hmm. It Um, appeared to be that, yeah. It was very similar. It was a man with copper skin and the yep. light blonde hair, which yep. she had seen before. Yep. Yeah, which... she saw that in uh, Game of Thrones, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, of... which said to me that uh, some of these things are just are just germ trolling. So <laughs> yeah, and and they didn't careful. A lot of the things that happened didn't seem to have like connective tissue. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't a lot that connected these visions. They were just scattered. And that's what made it even harder to understand. There was no logic to them that led her anywhere. It's just, now you'll see this, now you'll see this, now you'll see this. It was really weird. Yeah. That's true. I think some of the stuff toward the end with the the Undying, um, you know, again, we won't spoil exactly it here, but I, I think you can paint things together, and I think we'll do some of that on Davos After Dark and try to answer some of those sure. mysteries. Sure. Um, yep. But some of the earlier ones where she's just walking down the hall, yeah, they're completely. They seem like they're completely unrelated events. I, I have, I have, I have a major problem with uh, gifts with conditions. So this this whole thing with with going in there, Pi Pri's like, yeah, you, you have to go in there now, or you can never go again. You have to go in there alone with no help. Um, it's basically a trap, and you can't trust what you see. But there's cool knowledge in there. It's like you know what, pass. Give me the knowledge or don't. Like, I'm not this game. This game would just piss me off. I would have had I'd have had Drogon burn him before I went in. <laughs> and how much of it is just like some trippy hallucination effect of the stuff she's drinking? Yeah, who knows? Really have no idea. I mean, he's he says he indicates that maybe it wouldn't be that that it, it's just opening your mind to possibilities. That's but, what he says. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can't trust the guy. Like I said, this whole thing seems like it's a trap. What the part down the hall? I don't, I don't it's remember. It's a really... trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you covered it in the summary, but like, there's a part where she's going down the hall, uh, where the torches are kind of quenching going behind up. her and catching up to her yeah. as she's stopping and trying to make a choice on what to do next, and she hears something coming after her. Like <laughs> super creepy. Like yeah. this isn't a, this isn't like a knowledge quest. Like see if you're worthy thing. This is a trap. It seems like uh-huh. like they want her. You know, and in the end, when they're just clawing at her and basically trying to take her life force, I don't think this is a like see if you're worthy thing. This is a like we want your shit. And it, court, yeah, it almost makes me wonder if you can trust any of it. I agree. Bah bah. <laughs> to quote the mighty, mighty boss tones, back to my middle school days, the more I sort it out, the more things get distorted. I sort of think I'm better off just leaving it unsorted. The more I sort it out, the more things get distorted. I sort of think I'm better off just leaving it unsorted. The more I try to change the course, the more I force the code. Of course I'll reach my destination, someday I'll be sorted out. Hold on. Rather not. Brooke, is my bitterness at this, uh, at this chapter meeting your expectations? Yes, it totally is. <laughs> that bah, home. Yeah, well, all of the visions and speculation aside, uh, here's what we know concrete. Danny's having a lot of trouble in Korth. Like, she has completely, because she didn't cry, she has completely <laughs> screwed up all relations with um, the, the Korth. Yeah, the, the Korthine, what was their high council thing uh, called? Pureborn. The Pureborn. And so... Because she failed there, she turned to Piapri and his recommendation to visit the House of the Undying, and she destroyed the place. 
literally. <laughs> so, what's what's up for Danny next? Yeah, the answers don't seem to lie in Karth. Nope. Uh, who nope. knows? So maybe she'll get a bunch track. of uh, maybe she'll get a bunch of respect from people for getting rid of the warlocks. It seems like nobody liked those dudes. But I don't know. Maybe it's like <laughs> the kid brother thing. Like, hey, I can pick on the warlocks. You don't get to come in and pick on the warlocks. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Also, they got really excited about how they are the house of the undying and all these people with eternal life. Eternal life. But it seemed like a pretty crappy life. Yeah. Yep. Unless their like consciousness existed with that first room of revelers, we're all in beautiful costume and eating lovely things, and invited Danny to join them. Yep. And then like their reflections of their true. Their true forms were just the shriveled up corpse monsters with the the dead heart. Yeah, who wants if they to were live like living, that? if they were living forever in that other place, not so bad. Yeah, if they yeah. were living forever as dried blue corpses, not great. Kind of probably probably got tricked into it. Yeah, there's a Dennis yeah, Leary has a comedy it. bit uh, where he's talking. He's a heavy smoker, and he's just talking about how people always jab him with the well, it takes 15 years off your life. And he's like, yeah, but it's the fucking shittiest 15 years at the end, isn't it? The 15 where you don't want to be alive anyway. And, uh, yeah, these undying, they can't they can't be enjoying themselves. They look awful. And they probably, I mean, Danny's a, a special specimen, but they probably kind of try to trick anybody in there to get their life force, don't they? The, somebody, I think Pia Priya, or, or no, it's one of the Blood Riders at the very beginning of the chapter says, a lot of people go in and don't come out. Seems like that's their game. Probably the idea. Trick yeah. people to come in and just steal their life. Well, I know I would have just married Zarozon Daxos a long time ago. I just yeah. had my empty marriage and big house. <laughs> that does sound pretty good. I mean, To us commoners. Yeah, as options go, if you're a peasant, it sounds not bad. Mm-hmm. And Danny's a beggar at this point, right? A beggar with the most powerful beings on the planet waiting to grow up. Who just burned the heck out of the Undying? That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Dragon is, fire. Doesn't it seem like she uh, sort of is, is fav- she kind of favors Drogon a little bit? She seems to prefer him. Like she didn't take the she t- chose to take him with her. Seems like there's been other instances where she's had Drogon, but not the other ones. Well, in the last chapter when she was in Zara's litter, she said that she alternates which one she takes um, out. So to is it the... just Drogon's turn? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know that she doesn't favor him. I don't have evidence for that. Um, but I, I think she did say that in that chapter, that she kind of changes out which one goes, and then the, the other two stay in the cage and get tended to by others. Um, but, yeah. she, but she wants to make sure they all get out, right? So she takes takes turns with them. I wonder if the other dragons would have reacted the same way, or if it was fate that Drogon went with her and was able to step in. Yeah, he does seem... I don't know. I, we haven't seen we haven't seen enough of the dragons, to be honest. Well, if if anything was true in what she saw, and there are three three heads, three riders, then she has to just pick one dragon to ride, and it might as well be Drogon. Yeah, the because uh, black of, goes with anything. Some of the things you learn from uh, <laughs> the black goes with anything. Uh, some some of the things you learn from the the world of ice and fire is that uh, not anybody can ride a dragon. So if she's looking for other riders, if they all accept her, it might be a matter of who the other, which of the other dragons will take other riders. She might have to take whichever one won't take another rider because it's not easy to find them 
Like, I think in the World of Ice and Fire, they talk about having, like, tryouts for people that are, that the the dragons will take to, that can ride dragons. And uh, mm. right. only if a handful of people them. even can do it. And then those people, like, they turn out to be commoners or whatever, and, like, they turn on them and, like, switch allegiances, and it's a huge disaster that contributes to the whole mess of the war, uh, the Dance of Dragons. But, uh, so yeah, she might not have... A huge say in who gets to ride the dragons because the dragons kind of choose a little bit. They, yeah, that's, they, uh, to, they that's... also try to um, uh, breed them from birth to prefer a certain rider, right? Yeah, that's kind of like that uh, Naomi Novik series you guys read, right? Yes. Yes, yes, it is. The potential rider actually talks the dragon through the shell while they're still an egg to right. form a bond. And then is the first one there with the harness to harness the dragon when it's oh, Brooke, we need another book from them i you? know it's so good i love dragons yeah, yeah. you guys could help our What's readers that? out by telling them the name of the series um it's the temeraire series by naomi novik and we'll link to it on davosfingers.com yes we will it's great stuff mm-hmm. we're, we're well over time should we move on to Tyrion? i don't think i have anything else for for this for now anyways reader beware we'll get a ton more into this chapter uh in a special segment of davos after dark later yes indeed but first let's talk about Tyrion. yeah Tyrion, Tyrion it up cripples and bastards and broken things but the power of the mind can give you wings drinking and japing and yeah ladies Tyrion lannister or imp if you please so after all that intensity uh, this is a bit of a Tyrion catch-up chapter as he prepares for Stannis' attack on King's Landing. So we open with Tyrion sending off his clansmen to snipe at Stannis' baggage trains and lead night raids. And Tyrion is feeling some pangs of regret sending them off because that leaves him with just a fickle city watch, only about a quarter of which he can trust, and an even fickler 800 sellswords led by Bronn. And Bronn sums up the value of his best sellsword men nicely by saying, they'll kill for the knighthood you promise, but don't ever think they'll die for it. So Tyrion and Bronn are inspecting fortifications to the gates of King's Landing, and Tyrion makes the simple but damning decision that the mess of shacks and pot shops and cribs and alehouses that have grown up the city walls behind the river quays have to be burnt down. Otherwise, Stannis' men will just, like, take a leisurely climb up the walls and into the city. So it's, it's really just completely defying all of the city's defenses by having these little shanty towns growing up against the wall so Tyrion tells Bronn to get a hundred of his men to do the burning giving the people who live there reasonable time to vacate and to keep the killing and the raping to a minimum thanks and just reminds Bronn that the citizens of King's Landing aren't the enemy and Bronn responds by saying that they're sellswords not septons and next you'll want them to be sober and Tyrion says that, yeah, that would be nice as well. So next on Tyrion's list is to attend the swearing-in ceremony for two new kingsguard. Cersei has made the choices, Sir Balin Swan to replace Preston Greenfield, who, as you guys might remember, was killed in the riot Joffrey caused a couple Tyrion chapters ago, 
and Sir Osmond Kettleblack to replace Sir Boris Blount, who was stripped of his white cloak almost immediately after surrendering Tommen to Jocelyn Bywater's attack at Rosby. So it turns out that if you're a sworn knight of the King's Guard, you need to die to protect the King and his family. You can't just, like, give up the King's heir and ask for forgiveness. Sir Barristan Selmy would have lost his shit over the whole ordeal. Mm-hmm. So anyways, Tyrion is impressed with the Balon Swan choice because it's a, a powerful family, lots of resources, but uh, is, is, is not as impressed with getting Sir Osmond Kettle back into the Kingsguard because uh, he's no better than Boris Blunt as far as uh, honor and loyalty go. Uh, Osmond Kettleblack being paid off by Braun to spy for Tyrion at the moment. So he, he's not impressed with the choice, but he's also not upset because it just means that he has one more ear closer to Joffrey. Um, next up, Tyrion catches up on his mail. So he already knows that Winterfell has fallen to Theon Greyjoy, which he thinks is a shame, and that Heron Hall has been taken by Roose Bolton. But now Balon Greyjoy is writing him as the king of the Isles in the north, inviting Joffrey to come talk border claims. And Tyrion wonders if he should dump this whole king of the Isles and North problem on Cersei or give it to the council. But it's obviously not a huge concern for him at the moment, especially since Balon Greyjoy's longships are on the wrong side of Westeros to help against Stannis' fleet. So he just kind of puts that to the side. Then Tyrion receives Wisdom Helene from the Alchemist Guilds. So it turns out that all the wildfire he asked for is jarred up and ready to go. And Tyrion hardly believes Helen, but Helen tells him that the spells involved to create the substance have been particularly potent of late. And hey, does Tyrion know if there are any dragons around? Because he heard a rumor once the dragons help increase the power of magic in the realm. So confirmed by rumor from the gossipy alchemists, dragons make magic stronger just by existing. Confirmed. Stamp noise. So no rest for the wicked. Next up, Tyrion kicks Halen out of his receiving room and gets a report from Jaslyn. Bywater that Tommen is secure and safe, but Jaslyn doesn't tell Tyrion where in case Tyrion is captured alive in the war with Stannis, which is a brave and noble move on Tyrion's part, in my humble opinion, and further proof that he really is a family man. And lastly, Tyrion gets a list of reported traitors in King's Landing from Varys, calling themselves Antlermen, because they believe Stannis will win. Tyrion makes a good jape that they should call themselves the Hot Hearts since Stannis changed his sigil and he orders them arrested, seemingly completely trusting Varys report. And uh, yeah, that's the end of the chapter. Tyrion taking care of business. Super busy. Oh, one Doing more thing. Doing what he does. Yeah, he replaced the High Sept and the other one dying in the riot um, with a new guy who he instructs to tell all his... I don't know, his flock that uh, Stannis will come in and burn all the septs, just like he burned the God's Woods in uh, Storm's End to in, in a, a tribute to the Red God and his new religion. So just to, just to strike a little more fear into the hearts of 
King's Landing citizens and to make them more prepared to fight Stannis. And, and, less, and less prepared to concede to Stannis because Stannis right. is going to completely destroy their religion. So, good incentive. Yeah, and, and the Septon kind of doesn't believe him. He's like, is that true? And Tyrion's like, eh, it could be. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Might be doesn't true. Matter. Yeah, and the high se- this High Septon is Tyrion's man, so he does as he's told. Yep. Tyrion in charge. Yeah, so what's going on? Tyrion and Bronn, still still a little tense over there. A little friction. A little friction. Not the At good kind. Point, yeah, Tyrion calls... Uh, when Tyrion is feasting and, and getting all of Bronn's best men drunk and promising them knighthoods for their loyalty, he notes that Bronn remains sober with his insolent smile. Ooh, cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bronn's, Bronn's scheming. Mm-hmm. He knows Tyrion well enough now. He's no pushover. And I think he wants Tyrion to know that. I think part of the reason he's doing this is to show Tyrion that I'm not just going to be like the High Septon or someone. Like, yeah, yeah. The, that Bronn, Bronn listens to Tyrion because Tyrion pays him. But Tyrion at the end of the him. end of the day, Bronn will not hesitate to turn his back if if the money stops or if the promises of power stop. Right. Seems we like he could have still had a last drink. Episode. <laughs> a couple. We talked about in the last episode uh, how. You know, why didn't he just send Braun on the the road to Rosby to take care of the Tommen thing? Why did he have to send Bywater? And I think that's part of it is because he promised, you know, whoever did that would become the Lord of Rosby. And uh, he, he didn't want Braun to become the Lord of Rosby because that means that Braun would no longer need to remain in his employ. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. Uh, I think Tyrion knows and Bronn wants him to know that, look, our relationship, even though we can sit and joke with each other and we actually have pretty good chemistry, uh, it's 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 a business relationship. But but mm-hmm. Bronn sees that he's been kind of passed over, if you will. In the business world, it happens all the time with like uh, with really good sales guys. The, the people yeah. that are in management will sometimes pass over really good sales guys because they know... They can't replace they those sales. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I know you want advancement, but I need you to do this. And it causes exactly. it can cause a lot of friction. It's the same thing here. Yep. With a lot Ron more notices that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you guys think about Tyrion sending all his clansmen out to uh, to be a vanguard of petty fighting, if you will? It worries me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that that's their bread and butter. That's what they do and what they're expert at but they were a big source of his uh at least illusion of power they were the muscle for him in a lot of instances mm-hmm. yeah i, I think he's intimidation factor i think he sees that he needs he needs that intimidation factor less now than he needs to actually win the battle that's coming um yes and um i think he sees that using them that way is going to be the, the most effective way but i kind of look at them Kind of like I look at Braun, you know, they're not as sharp as Braun, um, nor as probably as talented, but they're out in the woods. They got new decisions to make every moment. Like, oh, this army he wants us to attack is huge. We got the money already. Maybe we go do something else. You know, yeah. like 
their I don't think their loyalty is necessarily there either. So same thing. But it, it was definitely a personal risk of his to send them away, a personal risk to him to benefit the city in the in the, the coming battle. So um, good good on you, Tyrion. You can sleep tonight. Your conscience <laughs> is clear. Uh, we get more confirmation of um, uh, dragons seemingly enhancing other magical type instances I'd say throughout it's pretty, this world. It's pretty absolute. I mean, Helen sounded yeah. pretty confident. Did he? Um, he... Do we have? <laughs> are there, are there like, any dragons? Any dragons? <laughs> yeah. And we, as the reader, are like, yes, we. Have I think. I think he was trying to yeah. joke around with Tyrion. <laughs> But it totally backfired. Tyrion's like, no, unless they were hiding under the dragon pit. Uh. Yeah, interesting that we've seen that now. I mentioned uh, like three times now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Rubber stamped. It's happening. Mm-hmm. Also rubber stamped, I'm calling a new band name. Or this might be a, a, a title of a, a record. Wall of Courtly Arses. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, when Tyrion went to go watch the, what is it, swearing in for the Kingsguard. They all stand. Yeah. <laughs> all of courtly arses. Oh, that was good. That's what's the name of the Davos Finger album is going to be. Mm-hmm. All of courtly arses. Yeah. Just side note, I'm really enjoying the Swan family just just as much as Tyrion is. The father staying in the castle, not wanting to get involved because of his because yeah. of his health. Uh-huh. <laughs> one son fighting for the North. One son fighting, or wait, one stan- son fighting for Stannis. Stannis, yeah. One one son now firmly entrenched in uh, Joffrey's court, <laughs> and and then Tyrion was like, if he had a third son, I'm sure he'd be fighting for Robb Stark. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Papa Swan is yeah, uh, in survival mode. So whoever on him. wins, they have they have a little bit of backup. Yep, yep. Smart. And and uh, a little bit cunning as well because it means that it probably means that he'll have to lose one son, right? Whoever loses. Well, hopefully, uh, potentially the the winning son will make a case for the losing son. Yeah, there could be a pardon involved. Yeah, yeah. seems like they do that all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, we don't want to I mean, lose this guy's sword. He's really good. We'll forgive you as long as you swear to us now. Yeah, like the Florence jumping all around. Yeah, the Florence. Harrison Selmy got pardoned and then made commander of the King's Guard that he was just fighting against. The, yeah. the king he was just fighting against. So, yeah, yep. it happens. Uh, anything else on Tyrion? Should we go to Davos After Dark? I'm good. Let's do it. All right, well, uh, so, listeners, uh, if you don't want spoilers, this is where we leave you. Uh, we'll be jumping into Davos after dark now. Uh, join us in two weeks. Uh, we'll be covering chapters 50 to 54 of A Clash of Kings. We're getting getting close to the end of this thing. Um, there's only a few more episodes left on Clash of Kings, I think. But uh, anyway, yeah, join us at that time. And uh, without further ado, let's jump into the Davos after dark. Davos after dark. So let's start with uh, let's start with something from Cat's chapter. Uh, we hear that Rob is on the way to the Westerlings' castle. Uh, was Uh-oh. it called the Crag? Was it the Crag? Yep. Uh, so <laughs> River Run is uh 
uh, is doing their best to uh, to put the Lannisters to keep the Lannisters at bay across the river, and Rob is uh, about to break his oath uh, to uh, to marry a Frey, um, hooking up with Jane Westerling. Yeah, I love how Brooke you put it in our notes. <laughs> She's off oath breaking with with uh, Jane. Oath breaking some chick. I said that has to be up for phrase yeah. of the day. Um, <laughs> oath breaking some chick. That's what it was. <laughs> but it does. Uh, it comes back to well. <laughs> this is where it all falls apart, right? In fact, starting with starting with the chap cat's chapter, starting with cat's chapter of Edmure actually winning that battle is the start of where it all falls apart for Rob. He wanted Edmure to just stay put in his castle. And right. we will learn that in you know a future chapter. And I never thought of this before, I'm sure everyone else had, but by winning, Cat- Catelyn actually says it pretty outright in the chapter, by winning, Edmure's troops have forced Tywin's troops to head back to the southeast, back toward... King's Landing, essentially sealing the fate of Stannis in the the upcoming battle. Right? If they had let if they had let Tywin come besiege River Run, Tywin's troops would have never gone back to to King's Landing. They never would have joined in with the Highgarden guys, and Stannis may have won that battle. There, you know, again, we're, we haven't got to that battle yet, but they're very close to winning that battle, right? And mm-hmm. so this is kind of interesting. I mean, this is kind of this win again, back to the, the title of the episode of the spoils of war. This was a win for Edmure, but it was a loss in general for the way things turned out. Yeah. And they say, I can't remember if it's that Catelyn chapter from storm of swords or if it's later that they revealed that the time that Tywin spent fighting at the red fork allowed a messenger to get from King's landing to Tywin and inform him of what was going on in time for him to get back. Yeah. Uh, as well as him being kind of forced to retreat southeast because of the placement of other Stark forces. So, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. There's the oath breaking some chick, uh, which is about to be, you know, kind of the second arrow. Um, and this is this is the beginning of the downfall for Rob, right? It really is. And I was... I have trouble faulting Edmure too much, right? Oh, yeah. I don't. Um, Rob just didn't give him any sort of info or, you know, insight into the plan. And you can't blame Edmure at all for doing what he thought was helping in the effort. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's all in hindsight that things worked out the way they did. Yeah, but yeah, but Rob's reason, wasn't in hindsight. Rob said that you know later Rob comes back. Yeah, Rob comes back and gets pissed off at Edmure for doing the Red Fork battle for stopping Tywin at the Red Fork, saying we wanted him to cross the Red Fork and into the Westerlands so that we could fight him there, so that we could turn around and flank him and trap him in the West, so that he couldn't do anything else. And that was our plan all along. And we told you, Edmure, that your job was just to stay and hold River Run. And you didn't do that. So you've ruined all of this. And it's like, no, you kind of did it, buddy. Like, you need to tell him these types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a delicate thing of management, right? What do you tell to the people that you're managing, and what do you just assume yeah. they're going to do what they should do? Uh, what I, they've been first, told. How um, much when we first started? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, just how much autonomy do you give them, and and will they have right? Yeah, along those same lines, I was when I first read this, I kind of sided with Rob a little bit and was like, I was, I was thinking to this thing that happened last year in the Stanley cup playoffs. Of course, I'm going to bring it back to hockey of where this, uh, this coach benched their starting goalie in the middle of the playoffs. And everyone was like up in arms and everything. And they were demanding an explanation. And the goalie himself was upset because the coach never explained to him why he got benched and everything. And I was thinking the whole time, it's not the coach's job to make excuses or try to explain away. His job is to make the decision. He shouldn't have to, you know, sit and put his arm around the goalie and try to justify his decision. No, he makes the decision and that's it. And so I kind of went at it from that way of Rob's the king and his decision is his decision, but it's different. That's not a very good comparison because when you bench a goalie in that example, the goalie knows exactly what he's going to be doing at that point, right? He's going to sit on the bench, and that's it. When you just tell someone like Edmir Tolley to just hold River Run, you're not giving him enough information, right? There's it's, a lot of ways to hold River Run. Exterminating, exterminating my enemy would allow me to hold River Run. Yeah. He could have thought, you know, Tywin Cumming poses a threat to River Run. I need mm. to stop him. And so there's so much going on there. And I was also pissed at Rob Stark because it's almost like he's trying to deflect guilt to a certain degree because that's the, the same chapter that he chews out Edmure is the same chapter where he reveals that he married Jane. Yeah. And so he knows that he's screwed up something big. And now it feels like he's reverting back to teenager mode and he's mm -hmm. trying to deflect that guilt onto someone else yeah. to get him out of kind of the hot water for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, you're right. It's where we start to see Rob's downfall big time. Yeah, through through two victories, right? He wins the yeah. battle at the crag. Edmure wins these battles, and yet they're, they, the results end up being his downfall, right? And, yeah, back to something Kat said in her chapter that I quibbled with about, for men, the answer is always swords, which I think is it's a little bit of a disservice to men. But, uh... You know, for Rob, <laughs> what? Nothing, sir. Oh, I accidentally unmuted myself. Sorry, you're going. <laughs> you 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 oh, want? Oh, poor men. I just think it's inaccurate. Hey, 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 in this world where they have all of the privilege, she is allowed to make that generalization. That the answer is always a sword. Yeah. I don't think so. When has it not been a sword? Lots of times. When it's a bribe. When it's, um, or when it's a uh, religious or a religious choice, or when it's a um, a moral choice that that Ned makes. It's all over the place. I mean, the fact that she's married Ned and is saying that is a pretty big slap to the face to him. Ned never. Mm -hmm. Ned rarely used the sword to, to solve these things. It was violence was you know I don't think that was his bread and butter. He was a considered careful man. So was Hoster, I think. So I, yeah, I think it's I think it's a little unfair. I think it's I think it's very shallow for to say it. Um. But, and and but and in, in this case, it's it's not the sword at all that has to do with 
with Rob's downfall. It's politics. It's uh, it's a you know, a broken oath, like like you said. Um, well, it is a sword. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, but yes. Hey-o. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think that she's right in saying that as an overall. Just because we are in the middle of the battle of, like, a ridiculous amount of kings. Lost count at this point. It ends up being five. But at this point in time in the books. Well, when you and, and when you look at it from, you know, where she's just come from, uh, I think of Stannis and Renly's chat with her up on that hill. And she's like, hey, let's just do like a great council type thing and we can get this all figured out and they're like nope we're gonna fight it out yeah that's a good example yeah she's she's not in the best place from i i understand what you're saying scad but when we put ourselves in catelyn's mind which seems to be sinking further and further into you know a depression or at the very least brooding like i said in my chapter summary over i think it's all that yeah it might be unfair to some degree but I can definitely see her thinking that. It's it's just for for her living in a world where she is frequently marginalized and put in a put in a little box. It's weird for someone that has that happen to them to do that to others. And Catelyn does it often, yeah. frankly. She does it to groups of people, she does it to individuals. She definitely is an innocent of marginalization. Well, what she said that about the lady when Brienne when Brienne was like, my father had different a different lady every year, and she's like, those weren't ladies. <laughs> yeah. Like Jesus. By the way, take out the bitch claws. Come on, like relax a little bit. Selwyn seemed like a partier, huh? He seemed like the Tony Stark of Westeros a little bit. Who? Yeah. Like he, uh, Selwyn. Uh, oh, Tarth. Uh, Tarth. Selwyn yeah. of Tarth. Yeah. Brienne's dad. He yeah. like always. She also said that he always had like a singer on hand, mm-hmm. and he had like a new woman every year and stuff. It's like this guy sounds pretty cool. Well, he lives Crash on an island full of emeralds, right? Yeah, he's like super supportive of his daughter doing her thing. Yeah, sounded pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like Selwyn. Anyways, all right. Uh, should we move on? To, well, it was in Arya's chapter that, that the note came from, but um, the Godswood Weirwood stuff. So we know that Bran eventually jacks himself into the Weirnet and can see through the heart through the heart trees, right? And there's speculation that it's not actually just the heart trees. There's speculation that it's anywhere where there's Weirwood, and so he could, so Bran could have the power to see. All sorts of stuff. All this training Arya's doing in the in the um, in the Godswood. All this training she's doing, he can just see like, oh, this is what she was doing for that period of her life. He can get he can print like his own history book of what his family's been doing for this whole period. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. Yep. Um, yeah. Anytime I put that in in the note that anytime like a godswood or a weirwood tree comes up i'm always like i wonder if bran will be watching this later yeah mm. yeah it's on his dvr he might get to it yeah <laughs> i mean there's some there's some interesting stuff like um the the moon door in the eyrie that's weirwood so he oh. so he could see 
uh, he could see the assassination of of Lysa. The chairs, I think it was the chairs, or maybe it was the door in the face of the, of the, the House of Black and White. Where uh, yeah, the doorway to the Black House of Black and White is Ebony and Weirwood. Weirwood. Come back to that in Danny After Dark. Yeah. yeah. And, um... Well, no, oh, were you saying House of the Undying? No, House of Black and oh, White. Oh, House of Black and White. And okay. Come back to that in yeah. Danny After Dark. But, uh, so... Just, like, the, the, the possibilities... If Gurm wanted to, like, extend this book series out even more... Like, the possibilities of things Bran could learn and influence are, like, mind-numbing. And please don't, Gurm. Yeah, please, please don't. don't extend it past two more books. Because <laughs> we're already going to have to be waiting ten years for those last two books. So. And when he we... Just have, yeah, he just updated his live journal. And we... He's, like, behind on everything. Yeah. Can you say that? He did? Yeah. Oh, yep. I didn't see that. I'm going to say 2017 at this point. Oh, geez. And, uh, you know, we started this podcast. I don't know if we ever realized that we we're in it for like a five year commitment. <laughs> but we I've are. I've thought about it. <laughs> yeah. I've thought about what are we going to do when we finish all the books and we're still waiting for Dream of Spring to come out. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, um, okay, so let's go back to Jockin and the Coin. Uh, and why he gave it to Arya. Yeah, well, obviously, and I trolled a bit there, but obviously he was recruiting for the House of Black and White. So maybe he's always on the lookout for new meat. Yeah. But uh, I, I just thought it was interesting that he said it, if you want to find me again, not if you want to like discover yourself, if you want to do something great, if you want to be safe or something, it was if you want to find me. Yeah. Because he wants the finder's fee. The there you finder's go. fee. It's a recruiting <laughs> it's a recruiting firm. And, and it's also interesting because the way she ends up using the coin, if I remember right, has very little to do with like I want to find him or even I'm interested in exploring this. It's like I don't have anything else to do. I don't have any money. I need to do something. Maybe I'll show this coin. <laughs> Right, it kind of just happens. Oh yeah, to get a to get on the boat. To get on and the boat, all, all, the Titan's the, daughter. The captain, right? All I the think. people are scared of her because she has the coin. She says the words. Right, they're like, "Oh yes, right away, we'll take you." <laughs> like, but uh, yeah, I think uh, we we talked in a, a recent episode about. Actually, I think it was probably the last one about whether maybe Jockin's a warg and can wargs smell other wargs, and can he see that Arya has warging power and is that part of the is that part of the package to be a faceless man like you gotta have some sort of power like yeah. that yeah warging combined with actual face changing magic yeah, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. super crazy what that could yeah mean yeah. yeah but what is their what is their game the faceless men so they serve um they serve the god Stranger. of death, basically, right? Um, that that they want death to occur when death should occur, and the gift. Yes, the gift they call it. But but they're but they're more. They're doing more than just that. Yeah, they're, they're like out a, there they're proactively. Like but they're but politically, they're out there proactively doing something. Jockin is like we know Jockin becomes Pate, right? And. He's doing something at the Citadel, not just murdering somebody on a contract. 
right? He killed Pate to get his face, and now he's like hanging out there doing something. But they're, mm. I think they've got some sort of aspirations or some sort of game they're playing too, kind of like the Maesters are, and maybe in conflict with them. I don't know. And it seems like he's going to the Citadel at a really weird time, like when that the dragon glass candles yes. become lit and everything. So yeah. it, it makes me think that it has something to do with dragons. Yeah. Yeah. These anyway. faceless men, if I'm not mistaken, have been around for quite some time. Um, interesting to see if there's something going on there with uh, uh, old Valyria and either trying to extract some old Valyrian secrets or maybe prevent those secrets from coming back. Yeah, right. Yeah, I just I don't. I think they've got a game of some kind. That's a good theory. Yeah. I like it. Or maybe like we discussed last time, they're just so powerful and they have everything they could have ever wanted. Now they just meddle for fun. <laughs> the Loki, yeah. the Lokis of, of yeah. uh, this universe, the mischief. Yeah, because like when wealth is as easy as you know changing your face, and power is as easy as killing off the person in power and taking their face etc etc right like when you were that powerful overall what else are you gonna do mess with people fuck with people (laughs) but that that's exactly it i feel like i feel like they aren't just doing that i get that they could but it feels like they have some sort of something behind them yes yeah it feels to me i don't have any evidence i just it feels that way it's definitely one of the biggest mysteries in all of this. Like, even down to Jacques individually, that question yeah. that I think we've asked before of what was he doing in the black cells yes. at King's Landing? <laughs> you know, yeah. like stuff like mm. that. And then the Rorge and Biter question, what kind of influence does he hold over them? What's going on here with all of this? Yeah. It's really weird. I, I did see maybe kind of a connection that he was in the black cells at King's Landing, and it almost felt like in the Arya chapter that we read in this episode that he was, like, trying to goad her into saying Joffrey's name to be the one for him to kill. Um, he's like, say Joffrey. Say it. Say Joffrey. Like Leslie yeah, Nobleman parks in whenever she wants something. <laughs> like, Do it. Just say it. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wonder if he... That's one reason why he was in King's Island. I don't know. Hmm. Or maybe it was to hook up with Arya. Not in, the, not in the... I don't think he meant in that sense. Not in that sense. Brooke. For once, Matt's mind was not in the gutter. In his reference. Don't worry, Brooke was there too. She caught you. Cover for she, me. Made, she made up for all of us. That's where my home is. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, Alright, should we uh, move on to a special segment called Danny After yes. Dark? Let's get to this thing. Alright, Danny After Dark. Danny After Oh boy. There's so much. Uh I feel guilty leading this because there's so much stuff we could talk about. Do you guys have some place you want to start? Start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Or do we just throw things out there? The very beginning, like the first thing she sees, you want to like deconstruct every part of it? I think that would take forever. It's a suggestion. I think it would take forever. Let's talk about the important. Alright. Uh well. Should we talk about the first thing she sees? The beautiful woman naked on the floor? Sure, we can see. We can start with that. I think that's fairly important. 
Okay. If you, I didn't. So if you think it's, I, I counted that as one of the well, weird, fucked up things that isn't real. But well, go ahead. What, I, I what do you think? I wouldn't say it's super important. I wouldn't say it's super important, but it stuck out to me. Uh, my interpretation is the beautiful woman is Westeros. <gasps> me too. Don't oh. you thought? Yeah. The, the four oh. little men were the four kings, kings. fighting yeah. right now. Rob, Stannis, uh, Joffrey, and then Renly slash Balon. Because they call it the War of the Five Kings, but really at any given time there were four kings fighting because Balon didn't throw in his hat until after Renly was dead. So, um, yeah. Like, yeah, right before. Um, yeah, so four, So I, I picture the little rat men being the, the four kings. It's given a lot yeah. of credit to Westeros calling her a beautiful woman. <laughs> She's being savaged. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't see that. I'm glad you both did. Yeah, but there's not really like an outcome to it. It's just yeah. it is what it is, right? Yeah. It's not right. like any one of them was <laughs> eating to... more of her than the other. <laughs> right. To your to your point, Scott, yeah, it really isn't that significant. You said you didn't see it as being that significant. It probably isn't. Alright, opinion time quickly. Which was the one that was, like, fucking Westeros? Which king is fucking Westeros? Oh. Stannis. What? Alright. Yeah, because he's he's achieving everything with sex. Oh, I see. True. I just took it as, like, fucking it over the worst, like, doing the most damage. But I I get what you mean. That makes sense. Yeah. Feels like the stallion that mounted the world argument all yes, over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, all right. Okay. We'll move on. Um, so clearly, the a... the one the one okay. scene is. Go ahead. Oh, you asked which one do you think is the most important? I'd say the one with Rhaegar. Yeah. It would have been the most important if we had known who the wife was. <laughs> so you're Danny, saying maybe it's Liana? Yeah, because Danny only interpreted it as her wife. Like I went through that whole section over and over again, well, twice, to see if they were like in a tower, oh. perhaps. <laughs> but no, it's just a room with a great big wooden bed. But even then, is it is it fancy enough to be King's Landing? Like, well, I thought that the fact that they give the name of the baby as Aegon made it pretty clear that it's Aaliyah. And if it's a true vision of the past, it couldn't be John, Wait, right? I thought, because... But I thought that they named John Aegon. No. Where did I pick that up from? I can't remember. Okay. So Rhaegar and and Elias Elia had Aegon. He declares. I mean, we see in this in this scene, he declares that he needs more. And I don't know actually why he decided that Elia couldn't give it to him, <laughs> or whether they tried and failed. But yeah, he went after Lyanna t- to do that, or whether whether mm. with or whether whether he determined that that he needed something else, some someone else to provide that baby to make it a different type of rider or a different type of of baby, right? That he needed some other genes. I don't know. Well, they say that uh, I can't remember who says it exactly. Maybe Amon. He they talk about Aaliyah being kind of. Um, sickly and yes yep that's what i meant about maybe she couldn't give it to give it to him so he had to go elsewhere as if that's a reasonable decision to make (laughs) um Uh, but yeah i agree with you brooke that seems to be one of the most potent of all the visions that she has especially rhaegar looking like right at her right yes like 
there must be one more. The dragon has three heads. But but which comes up again and again. Why do we think Rhaegar's not just like completely full of shit? Like why is exactly. he why is he right all of a sudden? Like so he exactly. so in the fandom he's held up as kind of a bastion of like he was studious, he was a good guy, he played the harp, you know, and maybe he was all those things and maybe he was a great guy. But he's wrong one way or another about this stuff. He says his is the song of ice and fire. So Aegon died, and then he, his song is not the song of ice and fire, if that's important, because Aegon died. Or if Aegon didn't die and there was some baby switch, then the whole Jon Snow thing is off, and he didn't really need another one because Aegon is the. You know what I mean? Like, I think Rhaegar's head is. I don't know. I, he, I think the whole thing is muddled. Yeah, and this might be a bigger discussion than we want to have right now, but I would love to discuss the importance of and validity of prophecy in all of this and how much do we trust it and everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw that Melisandre, she's wrong looking into her fires. And I think it's very probable that Rhaegar is too, um, whether wrong or right. Uh, this is meant to perhaps guide Danny somehow. Yes. Um, how do you think he's got, I'm not quite sure. To me, I think Rhaegar, meaning that there must be one more, the dragon has three heads, he's referring to his own children. Yeah. Uh, which seems, it seems like he's trying to recreate that original three of the Targaryen dynasty, Aegon, uh, Rhaenys, and Visenya, because he's, his daughter's name is Rhaenys, and then he names his son Aegon. And so I'm thinking he wants to have a third to complete kind of that trio, if you will, like right. of old. Right. But at that point... Uh, Aegon, wait, was Aegon, oh no, Aegon was younger. Yes. Okay, so yeah, you're right, he only needed one more, so. Mm -hmm. So now, so now Danny taking that mantle as her own, is saying, okay, I've got to take this information, there's got to be three. Rhaegar screwed up, screwed it up, or, or whatever, they took it from him, and it didn't work for him, but still the prophecy is the same, there need to be three of us. And do, do you do you take it literally that, that she has to be the mother of three riders, or can she be one of them? That's a good question. Because the, I mean, there's all sorts of theories out there online and everywhere about who the three riders are, right? And there's probably 50, 50 candidates out there, but um, the common ones you see at least two of them are 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 Danny and John, right? Mm -hmm. You see Tyrion. You see, um, you see Bran like warging and doing it. Um, I don't know. You see Aegon sometimes, but do you think, like, who who are her other two if she's one? Well, I don't think it has to be her children. Like in a world of ice and fire, there's a lot of evidence that it can be sisters or yeah, right, or other relatives or whatever. Yep, I agree. But. Uh... And also, I don't think she can have kids anymore, so that's out of the question. Supposedly, unless there's some magic. Well, at the end of at the end of Dance with Dragons, she's bleeding, and some people theorize that her moon blood is back. Some people don't theorize that. Some people say, "Well, she just ate some bad fucking berries." But, um, but uh, yeah, some people are saying that, that she could. I don't think they have to be her children. For one reason, if they had to be her children, Grimm's going to have to write five more books while those kids grow up. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I I think she's definitely a rider. Um, so I guess this vision just serves to tell her that she's going to need to find two more, which should have been obvious since she's got three dragons. Yeah, if we're going to trust this vision and this prophecy, I have the same interpretation. That she's going to be riding dragons with two other guys. And I, I've seen, and we'll, maybe we'll get to these, some allusions to John and also some allusions to Tyrion. Those are the two that stick out to me. Yep. This is in line with the three riders. So it's always confused me that they talk about there have to the three heads of the dragon, there have to be three riders, three kind of people, right? And then there's this concept of the prince that was promised. And so one of the three riders is more important, and that supposedly is Danny, we think. Amon thinks so, right? Amon, we know later, says uh, on the boat right before he dies, Amon says, oh, he goes, he goes through this whole thing about dragons not having a gender and that for us to assume that it was a male when, um, you know, when Targaryens are dragons, that's silly. It could be either gender and it's, she's a princess that was promised and it's Danny, it's Danny, it's Danny. Right. Um, Mm. so yeah, he died thinking it. And I, this is just a trope, I guess, of science fiction. I tend to trust the really old wise guy. So I kind of, I kind (laughs) of believe him. Maybe I shouldn't. He's one old wise guy to trust, Mr. Ammon. Like, he yeah. he never really led us astray. So you think it's Danny? You're on the side that Danny's the prince that was promised? <laughs> I think so, although I think the last Vision chapter we had, I think I said I didn't think she was. <laughs> so I'm probably coming off like a huge <laughs> asshole now. But I uh, I think after reading really this... There's a, a lot of information. I think after reading this and thinking a lot about this episode, I think I think I believe that she is. I think it's her, John, and I also think the prince who was promised and Azora High are the same person. I don't think they're different. Yeah. I think it's the same prophecy, just come from different angles. <laughs> yeah, uh, the only thing that we that I know about the prince that was promised and the prophecy is that they should be born amidst smoke and salt. And we know that Danny was um, mm-hmm. born uh, amidst... The, on Dragonstone, um, the smoke and salt there. John wasn't really, right? Unless, know of. All yeah. the, unless you uh, can somehow tie in smoke and salt to Tower of Joy type stuff. Yeah. That's what uh, the other thing was that uh, at least Rhaegar and Amon believed that uh, a comet would herald its coming. And that's why Rhaegar thought Aegon was the prince that was promised is because on the day that Aegon was born he saw a comet. So any baby born that day could be this gets gets mm-hmm. into my hate well, of, of course, astrology. But our our buddy Ray our buddy Ray is gonna think it's his boy. So. Yeah. But he thought for a while that he was the prince that was promised, Rhaegar himself. Yeah. And then changed his mind somewhat inexplicably. Um yeah, we're just told that he and he and Rhaegar was born amidst smoke and salt. <laughs> Rhaegar was born at Summerhall, right? Like right during that fire. Rhaegar, thought that was mm-hmm. true. But we know Aegon for whatever. So he saw he sees the comet and decides Aegon is the prince that was promised. Fine, but Aegon definitely wasn't born amidst smoke and salt. That's part of the nope. real. So I think Rhaegar is a confused you know, when individual. You're, when I guess. You're... He's reaching. Yeah, when you're trying to make something work, yeah, you're going to reach He's a little reaching. bit. And you're going to, you know, maybe make a square peg fit into the round hole or whatever. Or is it the other way around? I don't know. As long as the pegs <laughs> go in the hole, most of us are happy. 
you know. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Rhaegar was born uh the same he wasn't born at Summer Hall, but he was born on the same day. Okay. Um so when she is in the um undying chamber, they whisper to her about uh sets of things in threes. Yes. So like three fires you must light. Uh, three mounts you must ride, three treasons you will know, and they all end with one for love, one to love, uh, mm. once to love, that sort of thing. Who is this love? Or is, is it, it just same? a generalized love? Is yeah. it like the love for her people, the love for her dragons, love her for family. her? Yeah. yeah. The love or do you for Jon Snow, Mr. Dreamy. Yeah. I, I've got on the three mounts you must ride. So the one to bed, I've got Drogo. On the one to dread, I've got Hisdar. Yeah. Because she didn't really want to marry him. And maybe a Greyjoy. Maybe we'll get back to that later. Mm. And then the the one to love, I've got John with a heart around him. That's nice. <laughs> I drew a heart around him. <laughs> not, not Dario? I know. I've actually got John with a heart around him, and then I've got Dario next to that with a question mark. Dario, who's he's really just a, he's just a little he's just a little bit of side fun. It, it seems like Dario's more of a yeah a slam piece. I was, I, was <laughs> I don't think she kidding. really loves him. And is Dario your on Isn't that a theory out there? I think oh, I've, I've never that. seen that. That's interesting. What? I don't know how I don't know how it would be. I don't. Yeah, to me, I haven't researched it too much. To me, just on the surface, it seems like the timelines wouldn't. Fit, but... Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, the the one to love is. What so wait? What did you say about an Ironborn in there? About Hisdar or an Ironborn? What was that? Uh, I think she might hook up with uh, Greyjoy. For their fleets. Oh. Um, one is, and this is. Uh, let's see here. So if I hook up with me, you don't. You don't mean get another slam piece. You mean marry? I think. I think she'll marry one. Yeah. Um. This is moving on from the three things. Is that okay? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, go ahead. I don't want to leave it if we're... Are you leaving the Greyjoy yeah. thing? Because I don't think the Greyjoys are... I mean, I know she no, needs ships. No, I'm not leaving the Greyjoys. Okay. Right. She needs ships, but she pretty I'm... much would be appalled by their behavior and their lifestyle. Yeah. And she's... She was appalled at his dar, too. Yeah. And what he wanted to bring back. True. Um, so later they call her mother of dragons, bride of fire. And then they mention three things, uh, in kind of that bride of fire category. Yep. They say one, her silver trotting through the grass. I picked that up as Drogo. Um, then I'm going to skip the second one, come back to it. The third one is the blue flower grew from a chink in the wall of ice filled there with sweetness. That one I think is John. And then the second one. This is reaching a little bit. She says, a corpse at the prow of a ship, uh, eyes bright and a dead face, gray lips smiling sadly. I pick that up as as potential Greyjoy. Gray lips smiling? Could that be a a Greyjoy thing? Um, So I've got two ideas on that one. We know that Euron sent Victarion to go and court Danny in his name. So basically he wants Victarion to bring Danny back. So Euron can marry her. So it could be Euron. However, Euron has blue lips because he drinks Shade of the Evening. And he only has one eye, right? Mm-hmm. This is eyes brightened. Yep. Uh, and Victarion, that's reaching a little bit because he doesn't really smile at all. And he's never really sad. He's always just really pissed off. Um, <laughs> but, so those are 
two potential and and I like Victorian is just like a walking hard on. He's just like he really is. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a he's just a meathead. Yeah. Um but the potential all, remember Danny's trying to get ships so bad and all of a sudden this whole fleet of ships is sailing to Marine. And I can see her in an effort to get back to Westeros, maybe maybe uh, she forged an alliance through marriage to get those ships uh, and get to Westeros that way by coming back on Greyjoy ships. I think it, it's plausible. We've wondered how the Greyjoy of the grand scheme of things, things in, in the books of Age of Heart. Um, and maybe, you know, she doesn't want to, like you said, Scott, that she be appalled by everything the Greyjoy stand for. Uh, and so that makes the marriage to a Greyjoy the one to dread in that prophecy. It's mm, interesting. Uh, one of the things uh, that, uh, so I, was, I, I happened to listen today, uh, I finished off the, uh, the Radio Westeros episode on the Battle of Fire, which is the battle that's about to happen outside of Marine, uh, as soon as uh, Winds of Winter opens. And uh, if you haven't listened to it and you don't mind spoilers because you're listening to this, uh, go listen. It's amazing. Uh, it's my favorite episode they've done yet. It's really good. Um, but I, Brendan, uh, Brendan Blackfish is on there as a guest. And I think it was his theory that actually Euron is following Victorian, that he mm-hmm. actually is not still in Westeros, that he is following right. Victorian, um, which is an interesting theory and um, could put him in the mix as well. Yep, I think it's one of the. It's got to be one of those two. That's interesting. But it says it says they're a corpse too, right? Corpse at the prow of a ship. That made me think of Maester Aemon uh-huh. when he died aboard a ship. Right. Uh, we all, but we do know on the front of Euron's ship is uh, is a woman. It's the figure of a woman is on the prow of his ship, right? Yep. Um, which could come off as looking dead because she's just wood. She's part of the ship, so. That's yeah. how I make. That's she... how I make my round peg fit into my square hole. For I that. see. <laughs> yeah, I assumed I assumed it was Amon uh, when I read that part, um, but I didn't know how it fit into the whole husband husband thing. I guess I I thought it just reflected the family part of her being a Targaryen and being a bride of fire because she's a dragon and that's her family. Mm-hmm. The, that's how it linked together. But I like it your idea. Be. I like your ideas better that they're all husbands that she'll have. It's interesting, and that 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 fits into our wanting Danny and John to hook up. And by yeah. R, I mean Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> huh. um, before that, he says another thing that I I found interesting. Another set of three. He says, "Mother of dragons, slayer of lies." Yeah, and then he mentions three what I see as potential lies. Mm-hmm. You guys want to talk about those for a sec? Yeah. So the first one is a man glowing like sunset, red sword raised, a blue-eyed king who casts no shadow. Yeah, that's clearly Stannis. What I'm thinking? Yeah. Stannis? Yeah, that's clearly Stannis. So when I first saw the blue-eyed king, I thought maybe it means that I thought blue eyes others. Maybe Stannis becomes the night king and she's got to bring him down. But then I read that he actually really does have blue eyes. So... Even so, that's a good theory. <gasps> what? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. All right. I'd be into that. Just like the whole Rolor thing backfiring. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. yeah. 
yeah, said the, who cast no shadow. So I yeah, thought that you know Melisandre said that she can't sire or he can't sire any more shadow babies. Right. So he casts no shadow at this point. Uh, the but next it, one is the cloth. Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, just keep going. I'll get there when you finish up. Okay. So cloth dragon swayed on poles amidst the cheering crowd. I kind of think that's Aegon. Aegon, yeah. The or Fag. What does the fandom call him? Fagon. Fagon. I think he's not. Yeah. And that would fit into this prophecy. She's slaying lies. So the right. first lie that she slays is Stannis, Stannis Baratheon is, is Azor Ahai. Azor Ahai and she, rightful king. She's yeah. going to disprove that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second one is that Aegon isn't. So this leads me to believe that Aegon will make it to King's Landing and he'll be greeted uh, with cheers. That they'll with think banners. it's great that a Targaryen's yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. That everyone's going to be happy that he's back, which could make Danny kind of an enemy if she's going to come in and fight him, at yep. least initially. She could be seen by the masses as an intruder. Yep, that would be a big lie, though, that everyone's just yep. eating up. But She'll the third, the third, the third one was the one that confused me on this, because it seems uh-huh. like it's Stannis again, or Melisander. Yeah, I, I got Melisandre from that one because she believes that Azor High coming will awake stone dragons, whatever that is. She says right, and. Uh, that refers to a smoking tower, great stone beast took wing, breathing shadow fire. So it's maybe a... that ends up being some sort of trick of Melisandre's that Danny will cast down and say, no, it's not real. Not I a real dragon. Dragons. I got the real dragons right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just didn't like that one because the other two were uh, lies about being the ruler. And this is just right. a, like a, a deception from Melisandre. I, doesn't seem that cool. Yeah. Well, no, not not that it's not cool. It's just it, it's less. It doesn't it doesn't fit as nicely as I would like. As as these are all people aspiring to the throne and lying to people about being the real deal, versus you know. But but it's still it's it's the best case I could think of too. Uh, what about what the the daughter of death stuff? Uh, I guess that was pretty clear. Um, the visions of Viserys, Rhaegar, and Rhaegar. Um, that they yeah, kind of all the all these death. deaths have kind of birthed her to become the person she is now, right? She's a child of them in some way. They've those deaths have affected her and changed her, and um, so she's the child of that, right? The daughter of death. Um, what else do we got? Um, when we were discussing, you mentioned that there's no real theme to all of the visions, but they all really do have to do with ruling Westeros in some form or another yeah did i say there was no theme or was that matt no i did i i mentioned there's no like connective tissue. sorry i wasn't trying to like prove you wrong it just got me thinking no you are you're absolutely right i'm open to being proven wrong there i hadn't thought of that which makes sense because she went in looking for wisdom as to you know what her her next move should be but 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 what is it really what does she learn so I said this kind of during the main part of the cast. We know a lot of this stuff because we're reading about all these other characters. She doesn't know any of this stuff. She doesn't right. know who Stannis is. She doesn't know Melisander wants to make a stone dragon. She doesn't know. She doesn't know any of this stuff. So like we benefit from it, but like she comes out of this a loser. Like she knows very little more than she knew when she went in. She doesn't know what to trust what she saw anyway. Like, uh, what does she? What can she take away from this, really? And 
Yeah. The three riders thing, maybe? Well, and that does seem to be what she does take away. She remembers a lot of the last things, which makes sense. You know, when you go into some big type of thing like this, you come out remembering very little. And usually it's the last things that were brought up. Hmm. She always is thinking about the three treasons and the three fires and the three mounts and stuff like that. But this other stuff, the woman getting savaged and the allusion to the red wedding that we see, all of that stuff she doesn't seem to really remember. Which the red wedding itself kind of was a weird one to me because it's kind of out of nowhere and really has nothing, nothing to, to do, do with, with her. Yeah. Danny at all. Yeah. It's very weird. Unless it's kind of just a warning or a heads up about the Starks. I don't know. But that one was really weird. Yeah. But I like that, Brooke, that he they all have to do with her getting what she wants. Yeah. And... Which is interesting because at this point in the books, like you, she's not even aware of how much is going to go on you know, among the on the other side of the sea, basically like she is still nowhere near Westeros for, you know, four books and a lot goes on and she frees a lot of people and takes over a lot of, I don't know, would you call them countries? Non-Westeros places. (laughs) Non-Westeros places. Like (laughs) for all of these visions to be taking her back there. That's significant. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the um, that conundrum she ran into at the end of the hall reminded me of that a little bit, end of Quaith's prophecy, where she got to the end of the hall and there was no door on the right, and she realized that the last door on the left is the first door on the right. That reminded me of Quaith's prophecy of, you know, to go forward, you must go backward, kind of that whole opposite idea to go north, you might oh, gotta go south, whatever. Yeah. And no, that just taught her to solve, idea problem, that... solve the problem and think differently. Right, yeah, and and it's kind of her situation now where she's getting further away from Westeros, but at some point she's got to realize that turn it on its head somehow and use that as getting back. Okay, that's that same point where she's in that in the hall and the the whatever creature is sliding down the hall toward her. What did your Mm -hmm. imagination make that thing? Oh my gosh, I don't. Um, Viserys. Oh, you had as, as Viserys. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Uh, like with like with a molten uh, yeah. head and everything. She's gonna headbutt yeah. you to death with a hard head. Oh, that'd be awesome. That's <laughs> super creepy. Did you have something? What you guys? Um, I didn't. I pictured just like some monster creature. Yeah. My interpretation of it is that time is is passing, and eventually it's gonna catch up to her, so she can't dilly dally. Um, I thought it was an actual physical creature that was going to kill her. You don't think that? I think it could be, but I didn't have anything really in mind of what it was. So I don't know. Yeah, I I was picturing some, like, big hulking gargoyle-like creature that was just going to, like, tear her apart. Some just, like, really slithery, creepy one, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, I mean, we could probably talk about this forever. We shouldn't. Um, do you want to talk about Drogon just a little bit and his, uh, his awesomeness? <laughs> well, he just, he kind of, Danny is, uh, at the one, at the one part where the, 
this is too good to be true. <laughs> Undying people are inviting her to stay and learn how to speak dragon and, you know, whatever, like give her everything that her heart desires. Uh, it's him that kind of pushes her on, right? And can kind of see, kind of like, I don't know, kind of like knows that there's something else going on that she needs to, to, to keep going um, where she doesn't see it. In the other room, in the actual Undying uh, One's room, he literally saves her by burning the place to the fucking ground. Um, mm -hmm. So, are the dragons, do they have some sort of extrasensory knowledge thing going on? Yeah, I kind of picture them being sort of like the direwolves are to the Starks. They can, they know when something is inherently not good for their person. And uh, also when maybe something is good. Yeah, I like that idea. But that's all I really got. Yeah, I... I like that. I just... I can't imagine... I can't imagine a dire wolf... Like, willingly leaving a Stark. Sure. That bond seems so... I mean, I know Nymeria did because they were throwing rocks or whatever, and they drove her away, and so she did leave, but... It's hard for me to imagine them willingly leaving. And Drogon just, like, bails on Danny. You know? Yeah, it's definitely not, like, a one-to-one -one comparison. Yeah. And he does come back. He does, true. Yes. In the nick of time. In the nick mm -hmm. of time. It's a good scene. Uh, the search, a search of ice and fire, a cool site helped oh, me yeah. with on this one was the you brought it up in the main portion of the cast was the uh wooden doors of ebony and weirwood that eventually took her into um what ended up being the uh where the guys were in the audience chamber right i thought that was a weird combination ebony and weirwood being together and so i more or less weird than ebony and ivory yes <laughs> so I, I searched for it and there are two other instances of ebony and weirwood being mentioned together Ooh. one is the house of black and white those are the doors Interesting. they're made out of ebony and weirwood and the second one is where i get a little tinfoily Mace but i like it, it. no oh tabo mott's blacksmith shop wow where they find gendry oh what yeah that's whoa. it's specifically called out in the text that's game that of the, thrones that the door to it is made out of ebony and weirwood hmm. so i i know that tob and i'm a i'm a really big uh non-supporter of like previously um, minor characters all of a sudden having a big role to play in the end game. It's why it's one of the big reasons I don't think Aegon will go anywhere because he's just been introduced too late. Um, and so I don't think Tabo Mott's going to end up being this huge savior, but I wonder if that's, there's some answers there either with Tabo Mott himself or Gendry or varies too. Cause varies put Gendry there, right? Yeah, there you go. Also remembering Tabho Mott is one of the only blacksmiths rework Valyrian steel that knows how to work Valyrian steel. Yeah. So I wonder if he might get Danny started on some path to learning Valyrian secrets. 
And so I wonder if Tabo Mott's going to come back up. Mm. Um, Scott, Good you brought fight. this up. That when the she's being tempted to go join the lavish partiers in the House of the Undying, it's Drogon that flies back to that door of Ebony and Weirwood and is like, nope, come through this one. Right. So, yeah, I wonder if there's some significance to that. I just thought it was interesting that those two combinations only come up two other times. Yeah, I think I'm going to use that site. For for those that didn't catch it, it's uh, uh, searchoficeandfire.com, right, Matt? Uh, if you don't know what it is, and... Yeah. Dude, it's amazing. It is like, it's one of my favorite tools I've ever used in my life. Oh, and it's so beautiful, too, yeah, the way it's... it organizes all the search results and stuff. Yeah, hopefully... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully it's only up and I up would and have stays never... open forever, because it's awesome. <laughs> I would have never thought that... I would never have thought of something like that without that site. Too. Yeah. I did... I I shot down one of my theories because of that site. I think I put it in here somewhere in the notes still, but... Um, I thought that when when they're walking down the hallway and they hear the scrabbling sound behind the one of the walls and something like busts against the wall trying to get out. I was like, oh, scrabbling. I think they use that term to describe what dragons sound like when they go across the floor. And so I used that site to look up scrabbling, and I found that it's just one of Gurm's favorite words. He uses it like everywhere to describe <laughs> any sort of thing that moves in any way. Good try. Yeah. And so I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> there went that theory. But uh, so thanks to that site for making me feel dumb. And not embarrassing me on this cast. <laughs> but uh, So I thought of some potential Tyrion stuff going on in this. Um, the first one is towards the end of all her visions, she sees a white lion through grass that's taller than a man. Uh-huh. At first I interpreted that as... Uh, the Krokar. Yeah, Drogo actually kills a white lion and gives her a cloak. But yep. What if uh, we know that Tyrion's hair is a more whitish blonde color? Um, and if grass is taller than a man, maybe the grass isn't that tall and it's just Tyrion's really short. Oh, I get it. So the grass is what's taller than a man. The lion is in the grass. So Tyrion is the lion? Yeah. Ah. Lannister. Got it. Good one. What was the significance oh, of that passage again? She sees it in what? Uh, she sees it towards the end when she's having like those rapid fire visions at the end. Oh, uh-huh. Um, so she sees the silver horse, with yeah, the yeah. bloody corpse of the naked man behind her. She, she sees a white lion run through the grass taller than a man. She sees the crones, the Dashkalin at the Mother of Mountains. Uh, interesting that all those have to do with Dothraki-type situations. Well, they're all things that have happened to her. Every single one of those things yep. are things that have happened to her life until you get to the last one, which is the people yeah. grabbing out for which her, right? Which hasn't happen. happened, which is going to happen, but has not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, maybe the, um, well, sort of, because the, if, I don't remember the uh, Dosh Kaleen kneeling before her. And that's what it says they do in this vision. Um, so we know that at the end of A Dance with Dragons, Danny has a run-in with the Dothraki again, so I kind of have a feeling that she's going to come back around to her Dothraki heritage, and uh, maybe she gets the Dothraki on her side. She goes back to this Mother of Mountains and gets the Dosh Kaleen behind her and maybe some mm. more Dothraki. I think okay. she's just going to smite the fuck out of them. 
<laughs> she promises meal and then just chop their heads off. Well, she promises vengeance against those those calls that turn against her. Yep. I I think she's gonna take Drogo and just murder them. Or Drogo murder the Drogon. calls and and take take their men. Yeah, maybe. 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 Build her army back up. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think a lot of them are going to get wiped out at the Battle of Marine. Well, none of them are. None of them are there, currently. I mean, like her unsullied and. Oh, oh! I thought you meant the Kalasars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Oh boy. Well, I mean, like I said, there's a million we stuff a lot we could of editing to do. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff we could we could still cover, but uh, I don't know. I think I'm. I think I'm good. I think I'm spent as well. Brooke? Oh, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> that was really good. All right. Are we ready to, uh, are we ready to sign off? I think yes. I'm ready to sign off. Good discussion, guys. That was fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, this is Brooke signing off saying Davos lost four fingers, but there must always be three. <laughs> nah. Thanks, bro. I've got a good interpretation for that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought of this line when I was reading The House of the Undying from Dave Matthews' band's The Stone. I've this creeping suspicion that things here are not as they seem. And from Scat, I'll just say, beware the spoils of war. You may not always want them. Mm-hmm. Good night, everybody. All right. Good night. Good freaking night, everybody. <laughs> I'm this creeping suspicion that things here are not as they seem. Reassure me. Oh, why do I feel as if I'm in too deep? That was a heady time being a kid, not wanting to go to bed. What is that even like? Oh my god, I know. All I will ever want is to go yeah, to bed. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'll go to bed. Can you do my podcast and I'll go to bed? Yeah. Put them on. I know. Do it. Yeah. Hey, are you guys hearing that in the background? Yeah, I think it's my water. I am hearing something. Okay. Well. It'll go in a second. Like, all good? I think literally someone flushed a toilet. Someone hopefully being my wife and not my kid out of bed again. I feel like <laughs> you guys should have your plumbing checked out. Why? That's a lot of noise for one flush toilet. Well, aren't you in your basement? I'm yeah, in my basement. You do stuff yeah. in your basement? Yeah, I'm in my basement. Anyways. Gone? <clears throat> Would you like me to tell my wife not to go to the bathroom? Can you please? <laughs> and make sure she's not watching Netflix. <laughs> Just freaking keep your family in line. You put her outside, Scott. I don't know why it's always my house. Anyway. Mm-hmm. It's fine. <laughs> Get your shit together. Yeah. Mm-hmm.